Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Given what we know about the Republican Party and the way the House of Representatives conducts itself when run by Republicans and with a Democrat in the White House, it shouldn't really count as news when a House committee finds the Democratic Attorney General in contempt of Congress. Every single Republican voted to hold the Attorney General in contempt over this crazy conspiracy theory. Tell the Republicans to stop this witch hunt now. He's right. Why go ahead with a contempt vote? Look, there are certain internal documents that are not Congress's business. Well, why? It just looks like more of our broken politics and vicious fights now out in the open. A party in the Congress that does just about nothing to create jobs or to help people without jobs decided the best way to do their job is to shower the Obama administration with subpoenas. See, if you are a person who watches Fox News all day, it is possible that you have been marinating in this conspiracy theory for long enough now that this seems... Feasible. <laughs> Is this sort of stop and frisk at the highest level? Go at the attorney general, get him to empty his pockets. It looks like stop and frisk, doesn't it? Let me finish with my personal views of the stop and frisk thing. And I don't mean to use this term too much, but it's almost like a stop and frisk. For a lot of people, this is Republican versus Democrat, and they say this is just theater. It amounts to nothing. It is a distraction. It is politics writ large in in Washington, according to most people. This is really much more to be filed in the category of politics than law. This is contempt kabuki. Uh, This is a classic case in Washington of where you stand is a matter of where you sit. When the Republicans have the White House, they love exactly... And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 13th of May, year of our Lord 2019, by that little weird sound you heard. It's a rewind. We're going to do the uh, news and social media nuggets up front, which is a lot of fun. We're then going to go into a hate tweet section and a violent left, and we'll close with a got season 8, episode 5, spoiler filled, what the fuck was that bullshit? Yeah, I said it. But we started there with the only time I'm really going to get into this stuff. You know, I we're still playing dick dance with Russia. I, I don't understand. This is the media hold bar and contempt shit. I, I want to cover it up front, and then we're not going to talk about it. Because i got to be quite honest, I'm just done with it. I'm just done. <clears throat> Covered it on the show. They can read everything. That's a lie. There isn't anything in the Mueller report. Mueller himself said there's nothing in the report, but they just wanted to embarrass the president. This whole dick dance and what we're about to constitutional crisis is no. So let's let's do the adult thing and then have fun because the rest of it is fun, evil, violence, kind of like God, <laughs> kind of like Game of Thrones. Um, here are three back to back to back constitutional crisis because that's what they're saying now, even though it wasn't a constitutional crisis when. You know, Eric Holder told them to go fuck themselves, and there were dead people on that one. My guy, Cone, from my state, which embarrasses me. And then a quick thing about Comey. Just playing the soundbite, so I did my due diligence. Going to talk about Comey on the other side. Meanwhile, President Trump, he's clearly digging in as his administration seeks to block investigations by congressional Democrats at every turn. Setting to Florida right now, let's go to our chief White House correspondent, Jim Acosta. He's already there on the scene. Jim, the president is doing whatever he can to keep records from going public. 
Uh, that's right. Well, President Trump appears to be heading toward a constitutional crisis with House Democrats as he continues to hide the Mueller report as well as his tax returns from lawmakers. The White House is defending the president's use of executive privilege today as it seems the art of the deal has turned into the art of the conceal. Playing a game of hide-and-seek, President Trump is pulling out all the stops to keep the full Mueller report out of the hands of House Democrats. Mr. President, if the Mueller report clears you, why not let Congress see all of it, sir? In a retaliatory strike, the president is now asserting executive privilege to block the report's unreleased materials from House Democrats. After Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler sought to hold Attorney General William Barr in contempt of Congress for refusing to hand over what they want. Yes. I do agree with Chairman Adler because uh, the administration has decided that they are not going to honor their oath of office. Now, he's staked out because he has seen so much in the committee, committee work. I'm very proud of the Judiciary Committee and the work that they have done. In terms of timing, uh, when we're ready, we'll come to the floor. And we'll just see, because there might be some other contempt um, of Congress uh, uh, issues that we want to deal with at the same time. Thank you, Mr. Chair. The Attorney General has been contemptuous of this committee and of the Congress. He was contemptuous last week when he didn't come, when he couldn't dictate the terms of the hearing. He's contemptuous this week when he will not bring forth papers. The Chairman has tried to reach an accommodation with the Justice Department. All cases in the past where such issues have raised, been raised about grand jury testimony, the Attorney General has gone with the majority party, the chairman, to the district court and asked that that information be released to the committee for its purposes. This Attorney General has not done that. If he would have done that and tried to make a reasonable accommodation to join with us in going to Judge Howell, we might not be in this situation. But there's been nothing reasonable from this Attorney General. Mr. Sensenbrenner talks about people on the periphery. We don't know who those people were, but we know that Bill Barr decided who was testimony, which testimony would be redacted because people were on the periphery and to protect their reputations. This is the same person who gave a three-and-a-half-page summary of the Mueller report that did not, according to Special Counsel Mueller, who knew it better than anyone else, reflect the character and the spirit of the report. And he knew Mr. Mueller objected to it for not being an accurate representation of his work, and yet he did it, and when asked about it by Mr. Christ in committee, he had no idea that Mr. Mueller or anybody in the Mueller special counsel investigation would have objected. That's not true. He lied when Mr. Christ asked him that question. That's beyond contempt. That's a lie. So we're depending on Mr. Barr's determining who was on the periphery and what their reputations would suffer. We're talking about the opportunity for Congress to do its proper oversight as described in, in Article I of the Constitution, which is being trampled upon. The Trump administration refuses to respond to any subpoenas, destroying Article I and Congress's prerogatives. Now, we had a question, I think it was uh, maybe the ranking member said, we should be doing legislation, and how many signatures, how many bills have been signed into law by this committee? Well, ask Mitch McConnell, who has declared that the Senate is a graveyard for all 
legislation that comes from the House. We have passed outstanding legislation out of this committee. It's gone to the graveyard, where Mitch McConnell, who first kills Supreme Court nominees of the last president of the United States in his one year before, and voids and frustrates the constitutional prerogative of the president to nominate members to the Supreme Court, but frustrates the other House by not having hearings whatsoever. Somebody said, we're afraid. Yes, we're afraid. We're afraid of the loss of the rule of law. We're afraid of the loss of the power of Congress to be an independent and co-equal branch of government. And we face that today if we don't stand up. And somebody else said that Russia, there are no connections and nothing with Russian collusion. Well, the Mueller report said there were sweeping and systematic efforts by the Russians to influence our election, and they were done so to help Trump. And the Mueller report showed lots of connections between the Trump campaign and Russia, lots of contacts, and didn't, but didn't show that he had all of the elements to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that they conspired together. There's a big difference between not having connections and having guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Then Mr. Trump gets on the telephone with Mr. Putin and has a 90-minute conversation or something like that where he can see on a phone call that he smiled at him and gets flattered and never broaches the subject of Russian interference in our next election or Russian interference whatsoever. That was one of the prime parts of the Mueller report that the Russians interfered and that our intelligence officials had confirmed and told us and that our FBI has told us and that we know they did it in 2018 and they're going to do it more in 2020. But our president did not even mention it to Mr. Putin. That is scary. We are afraid of interference in the 2020 elections, and we need to be. And we need to be because we've got a man who has been suggested might be financially dependent on the Russians. Why would he be financially dependent on the Russians? Well, we now know he lost over a billion dollars in a decade in the 80s and 90s. He was broke. No bank would loan him a penny. He was broke. And if it weren't for him being president, he'd be in prison with Michael Day as individual one, and he obstructed justice, as the Mueller report says it so. We are in danger. We need to respond, and we need to act for the people of the United States of America. I yield back the balance of my time. Uh, for, what, for what purpose does the gentleman from... Would you go back in time to July 5th, 2016, and not hold your press conference, or would you rephrase your words uh, describing the conclusion of the FBI's investigation into Secretary Clinton? Yeah, that's a good question. I, if I could go back in time, I would find a way not to be involved at all. But if I, if I don't have that magic wand, I, I think I'd likely do it the same way. Here was my problem. I and the FBI needed the American people to trust that this wasn't a political fix job, that this was done in a credible, fair, independent way, Secretary Clinton had engaged in conduct that was way beyond what the normal carelessness was. And so how do we explain to the American people that it's not the ordinary stuff, but it doesn't rise to the level that you would be locked up for it, so I have to characterize the behavior in some way, not to attack her, but so the American people would understand this is the basis for their judgment. It's not criminal, but it's not the ordinary stuff. I probably should have said really sloppy or something, but I had to characterize it. The goal was to offer transparency to foster trust. 
I actually think you've seen it now. We all realize the importance of it now with the Mueller report. The Mueller report contains far more detail about individuals who are not charged than we ever even considered offering in the Clinton case. But it's important for all of us to understand the basis of the decisions being made. So you would have used words other than extremely careless? Yeah, only because this is a technical thing, but the Republicans in Congress got all wrapped around the axle on those words because they said, aha, that sounds like gross negligence, which is a violation of the law that was passed in 1919. I'd have said something more plain spoken and the say, really sloppy. The inspector general, though, wrote something that I found really interesting. He wrote an op-ed in The New York Times last week. Uh, it was called How Trump Co-Ops Leaders Like Bill Barr. And in it, you said, uh, part of it, you said, quote, accomplished people lacking inner strength can't resist the compromises necessary to survive Mr. Trump. And that adds up to something they will never recover from. It takes character like Mr. Mattis's to avoid the damage because Mr. Trump eats your soul in small bites. That, I mean, explain how you believe the president of the United States is eating people's souls and how that, uh, how that process takes place. Yeah, and, and I, I, it doesn't make me happy to write that, but it's what I believe. This president, because he's an amoral leader, shapes those around him. And that shaping sometimes pushes out someone who is a strong person of integrity, who stands up and says, not going to have it. But far more often, it shapes and bends and pulls in weaker souls. And he does it. I've seen him. It's happened to me. The man lies constantly. In public, you've seen it. In private, the same thing happens. And he talks constantly. And so I sat there at dinner with him, and he went on about how he had the biggest inauguration crowd in history. He didn't make fun of a disabled reporter. And all of these lies are coming at you, and you're sitting there over your salad thinking, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. <laughs> but you don't interrupt the President of the United States and say, Mr. President, I saw the tape. You made fun of a disabled reporter. Instead, it washes over you. And all of a sudden, you finish the dinner or the meeting, and you realize, oh, my God, I'm part of a silent circle of assent. Did I just agree that that's true because I didn't speak? And then there are ritual, these rituals of praise of the leader. And pretty soon you're wrapped so tightly in this web that there's no way out for you. Um, we've got a question uh, I, I want to preface a little bit just for our, our viewers at home in case they haven't been following it. Uh, the question is going to be about Peter Strzok and Lisa Page and Andrew McCabe. Uh, just for uh, folks at home, Strzok and Page are former FBI officials who exchanged texts bashing then-candidate Trump in 2016, raising questions of bias. Strzok played a key role in the Hillary Clinton investigation, worked briefly on Mueller's team. Strzok was eventually fired. Uh, Page resigned. McCabe was Director Comey's deputy of the FBI, lied to internal investigators about leaking information to the press. He was fired uh, last year. So I want to go to uh, to our questioner, just aspects about the tapes. Yeah. Um, George Stephanopoulos interviewed you two years or a year ago when your first book came out, and I just want to play... Oh, something you said about those about those days. Okay. Did you believe his denial? Honestly, never thought these words would come out of my mouth, but I don't know whether the, the current president of the United States was with prostitutes peeing on each other in Moscow in 2013. It's possible, but I don't know. So, so I mean, the investigation's over now. Nothing in the Mueller report corroborated that salacious claim about the, the tapes and prostitutes. Do you regret making those comments, which some would see as sort of stoking the fires or, or leaving it as an open question? No, I was trying to give an honest answer, and my answer would be the same today. But you could have just said, well, it, those were unverified. Well, I thought that's what I was saying, that I don't know whether it's true or not. That's a crazy thing to have to say because any other 
leader, I would think I would say that's preposterous. It couldn't possibly be true. There's a footnote in the Mueller report that actually makes potentially oblique reference to these tapes where someone in Russia is alerting, I think it was Michael Cohen, right. in October, late October, we stopped the flow of the tapes. I don't know exactly what he means by that, but Mueller seems to connect it in some way to that allegation. Again, Mueller didn't say it wasn't uh, the case. He didn't disprove it, but he also didn't establish that it was the case. Right. And I think that person said the ta that those tapes yeah. were, were false. Yeah. Another uh, important thing is the counterintelligence part of this work, which is what whether the Russians had leverage over the president, that would be part of the counterintelligence investigation. Mueller left that with the FBI. His document is about a prosecutor's look at whether there are crimes to be prosecuted. Do you think, do you think the Russians have leverage over President Trump? I don't know the answer to that. Think it's possible? Yes. Um, our next question comes from uh, Adris O'Connor, uh, who works at Northern Virginia Community College. He has a question about the Department of Justice's policy not to indict a sitting president. Adris? Hi, Director Comey. Ourselves. You said it's not spying. Why do you think Attorney General Barr used the word spying, which is obviously a word that the president has used as well? I can't explain it. I mean, the only explanation I can think of is he used it because the president uses it, which is really disappointing. He knows better than that and knows that the FBI conducts electronic surveillance by going to federal judges and getting warrants based on probable cause. But, but sending uh, uh, an investigator undercover to meet with uh, somebody who is connected to the campaign uh, they claimed he was later on just a coffee boy. Um, that is an extreme step, no? No, it's a reasonable... The, that was the guy, Papadopoulos, who was the subject of the information we got from the Australians, that he had talked to the Russians. Did you sign off on the investigator going? I don't remember talking about that particular step with my team. I knew they were trying to see if they could check it out. That's a totally normal step. See if you can get somebody close to the person and see if they'll confirm what we heard from the, the Australians. How involved were you overall overseeing the investigation? Because, again, I mean, this is an investigation where, at this point, for, on the Papadopoulos, you know, the, Donald Trump had already uh, been named the candidate for the Republican Party. Yeah, I was involved the way the director should be involved, briefed on it on a regular basis, but the director never runs an investigation. But they kept me closely informed because I had told them, this is important. I want it kept very close hold, but do what you need to do under our authorities to figure out whether... So you're saying you're not sure if you knew they were sending somebody undercover to talk to Papadopoulos? Well, I don't want to confirm. I want to leave it to the FBI to confirm what investigative steps they took. That news article wasn't, I don't think, based on an official release, so I don't want to comment on particular steps. But in general, they would tell me we're following through to try and understand whether there's evidence to establish this. The, uh, the inspector... Ourselves. You said it's not spying. Why do you think Attorney General Barr used the word spying, which is obviously a word that the president has used as well? I can't explain it. I mean, the only explanation I can think of is he used it because the president uses it, which is really disappointing. He knows better than that and knows that the FBI conducts electronic surveillance by going to federal judges and getting warrants based on probable cause. But sending uh, uh, an investigator undercover to meet with uh, somebody who is connected to the campaign... Uh, they claimed he was later on just a coffee boy. Um, that is an extreme step, no? No, it's a reasonable... The, that was the guy, Papadopoulos, who was the subject of the information we got from the Australians, that he had talked to the Russians. Did you sign off on the investigator going? I don't remember talking about that particular step with my team. I knew they were trying to see if they could check it out. That's a totally normal step. See if you can get somebody close to the person and see if they'll confirm what we heard from the, the Australians. How involved were you 
overall overseeing the investigation? Because, again, I mean, this is an investigation where, at this point, for, on the Papadopoulos, you know, the, Donald Trump had already uh, been named the candidate for the Republican Party. Yeah, I was involved the way the director should be involved, briefed on it on a regular basis, but the director never runs an investigation. But they kept me closely informed because I had told them, this is important. I want it kept very close hold, but do what you need to do under our authorities to figure out whether... So you're saying you're not sure if you knew they were sending somebody undercover to talk to Papadopoulos? Well, I don't want to confirm. I want to leave it to the FBI to confirm what investigative steps they took. That news article wasn't, I don't think, based on an official release. So I don't want to comment on particular steps. But in general, they would tell me we're following through to try and understand whether there's evidence to establish this. The, uh, the inspector... Have you ever heard anybody more butthurt? This was such a big thing for CNN. And I, I really... I, I just want to talk about it from the perspective of a normal American. I, yeah, I might be a little lowbrow. And I don't have a PhD and uh, complex... King's English bullshit. But if you can tell me that we cannot prosecute Hillary Clinton because we've loaded intent into a law about top secret documents that wasn't there, there is no intent on that. It doesn't matter if you accidentally put it in your book bag. It doesn't matter if you accidentally loaded it on your shitter server. None of that has anything to do with it. It's, it's, a, it's a black and white, cut and dry. You have top secret information. It's not in a skiff. You're wrong. You're doing government business on your personal email. You're wrong. And now... A intent has everything to do with it. You actually have to obstruct justice, like stop people from speaking or destroy evidence. Oh, wait a minute. Hillary did that. They destroyed phones and laptops, but there was no intent. Are you following me? But that man truly believes that Donald J. Trump, if he wasn't the president would get charged with obstruction of justice. And he also believed Hillary Clinton, who wasn't the president, did not obstruct justice, did not break any laws. I don't think Democrats in the media understand that's how we look at it. It's too close in the memory hole, these two incidents, for people not to look at it objectively and go, okay, wait a minute. If you said Hillary broke no laws, how the fuck all of a sudden could you say Trump broke all the, every law? Well, that's because you have TDS and you hate him. That's why. That's the whole thing. So, I think it's just in line with their ratings on CNN, only a 1% to 10% of the country, depending on what given day, are going to Tune in to CNN. Sorry about the little dog. Tune in to CNN. They're going to watch this shit, and they're going to jerk or jill off to it because it's the coolest thing because they hate fucking Trump, and they want him to go to jail. But the rest of us are adults and go, well, if, if you let her off, well, you really can't say this. And I, I am not a lawyer. I didn't study law, but I already knew that most of these laws have intent built into them, so you have to intend to obstruct justice. You have to intend. Everything I've read just means he's just going, I don't think we should do this. That's not the intent. It's not actually obstructing justice. 
And I do know, once again, not a lawyer, but I did sleep at a Holiday Inn Express once. You don't need intent to break classified information laws. It is, once again, black or white. It doesn't matter why I accidentally put battle plans in my backpack and went home. The battle plans are there. It doesn't matter that I don't intend to do anything wrong with my shitter fucking server. The simple fact that I had a shitter server broke the law. But in that case, once again, Comey inserted intent so he could protect Hillary. Secondly, and lastly, and then we're going to go on and have a fun podcast because I'm so fucking sick of talking about Russia and 2016, just as you probably are sick of hearing it. Zork and Peter Zork and Page, the bitch, those two people are why most of us don't buy the bullshit. And I don't care how CNN spins it or Comey spins it or anybody spins it. Their emails, or excuse me, texts, if you read them, say everything you already knew about what was going on by the Comey-Hillary Clinton fucking press conference. They didn't care about Clinton and they were going after Trump because they didn't like Trump. And it's bore out by two agents that are in char- one of them in charge of the investigations, literally saying, fuck the Hillary shit, we're going after Trump, we fucking hate Trump, hope somebody kills Trump, I want to fuck you, let's fuck Trump. I mean, these texts ruined any intellectual honesty that anybody could have on the subject. The people that don't have it, the people on CNN, our media, Chuck Todd, all of them, that's because you don't have intellectual honesty. You cannot look in the mirror and realize you just fucking hate Trump. You're trying to find a reason to take him down because you fucking hate him. So you're ignoring that the entire investigations, both of them were headed, directed, and done inappropriately. Just inappropriately for a federal agent that's supposed to be objective. There was no objectivity. So, I don't give a fuck what you tell me. It was like I said all along. The way this has been run from the FBI to the, not deep state, but I'm talking the establishment, Washington, D.C., this is just a witch hunt. You're just going after a person because you don't like him. He's a bad guy. He's not professional. He is not presidential material. He... Tweets and embarrasses the shit out of everybody. <clears throat> but Barack Obama wasn't presidential material, and you guys said he was the greatest president ever. Barack Obama did a bunch of crooked-ass shit, from the IRS to GSA to Fast and Furious to fucking Benghazi. You said that was just a bunch of goddamn bullshit. When his attorney general says, my job is to be the wingman for the president of the United States, you said that was okay. Now you're saying it's a constitutional crisis. So... Most normal people have moved on from this. We've moved on from the 2016 election, and we've realized this is what it is. So now we're looking at 2020, and no offense, as we get into our hate tweets and of the day, it's when we really kind of hit <clears throat> politics. 
you're not looking that good, Dems. I mean, the economy's pretty fucking good. This guy might be a jackass, but the economy's looking pretty good. And I don't think anything you want to do really is going to improve my life. In fact, it would actually hurt my life because all you care about doing is turning us to socialist state. So let's move on to some other stupid shit that I didn't want to put in um, our uh, new social media nuggets because it needs to be outlined. And we start with Chicago Cubs investigating fan who flashed a parent white power symbol during broadcast. Chicago Cubs said Wednesday they're investigating a fan as the use of offensive hand gesture that was broadcast during team team's game the previous night. Footage of Tuesday night at Wrigley Field at NBC Sports Chicago. A uh, fan could be seen making an alleged white power symbol. Clay Travis. So the Cubs banned a fan for life for playing the circle shoulder punch game, but promoted Addison Russell on the same day to the Cubs roster, even though he beat his wife. Other replies. For fuck's sake, it's a circle game, you ninnies. The, he, the controversy began during Tuesday night's Cub broadcast when a fan did the OK symbol. The bearded fan who was wearing a Cub sweatshirt and gray pants peered on scre- screen. They went through and found him and banned him for life. For life. Now, for those out there who are in San Jose... Or other places that might be liberals that are listening. Because I've had a lot of listens lately. Thank you for everybody new. I hope you like it. I hope it's entertaining. Give it a couple shots before you say, This guy's Rush Limbaugh, piece of shit. Because I'm really not Rush Limbaugh and I'm not a piece of shit. My whole life I played this circle game. We call it the circle game. We had all sorts of rules. Like you could mirror it. But then you could, or you could vampire and you put the circle back, and you do a mirror, and it throws back on them, and you can do a cross, and block. I mean, we had so many things. I had a first sergeant when I was a platoon sergeant playing it. We all played it. I was getting beat the fuck up. My kids played it. And and do I need to go back to all the podcasts that we've shown that the circle okay symbol, Obama did it, Al Sharpton did it, everybody did it. This is the dumbest thing ever. It makes me once again go, what is your head group? What is the problem with your brain housing group, bro, bro? If you think everything's racist, maybe you're the fucking racist. But TDS takes many forms. Here's one that I just cracked up on. Because Jesus, they hate you. They just hate you. Holy crap, check out, this is Aaron Ruper. Holy crap, check out how many eggs this Trump fan had on his plate during an interview with Fox and Friends at Milwaukee Diner. Some accuse Fox News of staging the delicious-looking breakfast. Jack Crosby, here we go, the massive order of eggs spot on Fox and Friends, both friends, breakfast with friends. Segment appears multiple times in different shots in front of different diners of as part of a prop plate cooked by their dan- diner staff before taping. What, what would be wrong if they actually did that? It's a diner. They're trying to make a living. Well, oh, they're Trump people. Then we find out it's a five-pound breakfast challenge. The qu- king or queen of Johnny V challenge. Because it's of ten eggs, eight pancakes, hash browns, three pieces of bacon and sausage, slice of ham, and two slices of Texas toast. The five-pound breakfast challenge has a one-hour time limit. If you can eat it all, you don't have to pay for it. Very common in normal flyover America these little challenge things where you eat some food and if you eat it all, it's free. It's normal. 
but not to these bubble worshippers. Arlen Parsa. Finally have an answer. It's not a regular menu, but this diner offered a five-pound food challenge. I add up the calories, and this meal is 2,421, assuming he doesn't add any syrup and butter to those eight pancakes. The recommended caloric intake is 2,500 per day for a man. So Fox News just interviewed this guy in a diner complaining about Democrats promising people free this, free that. It's totally ridiculous. They're promising people everything. Free this, free that, free this, free that. And actually, if you sit down and look at it, that's buying votes. While he's in the midst of eating a five-pound breakfast challenge that is, wait for it, free if you finish within an hour. Later, he tweeted again, also this restaurant in Milwaukee serves a Robert E. Lee special. That's a journalist. Who are you to eat those eight, eight, ten eggs? That's not healthy. And Robert E. Lee, well, you gotta be a fucking... I mean, they fucking hate you. Need more proof? Ben Midler. There's a theory that Trump doesn't want his taxes released because if he base reads that he's not as rich as he says, they might lose confidence in him. His base can read? They hate you. Then we have this gem. That if you... Don't think Trump's a piece of shit. You're ignorant of the Constitution. I just think the closer we... Every day it's like we're, we're going to a tin pot crazy country where there's no history of democracy. I don't want to knock any other country because we're, we we're better. We've been doing this for since eight, the late uh, 18th century. And yet it sounds like we haven't been doing it. It's, we're acting now like we haven't had... 250-some years of getting regular elections every two years. But I should tell you, Chris, I've talked to people that are from Venezuela, from Haiti. They say, look at this very carefully. This is how authoritarian governments start. They start by the fact that first he was talking about jailing his opponents. Now he's talking about the idea that he doesn't have to answer to Congress. So there are people, mostly Democrats, who are from authoritarian governments who are sounding the alarm saying America really needs to watch out. Yeah, people that come from... Well, Cuba, flavors like that, you know, Venezuela. I will say, if we go broader picture, 2020 is going to be resolving a lot of this. If the president can get reelected while doing all of this, that's when you really have to ask yourself about the, the Americans and their understanding of the Constitution. Because then it says that there's a, a precedent set that any, Repu- any Republican and any Democratic president can do this and keep their job. Well, people have been, because of all kinds of tribal uh, alliances, I've noticed that every community will reelect the guy who's one of theirs, even if they're crooks. Now, we've never applied that to the President of the United States before. And God help us, we hope never will. They hate you. They hate you. They just think you're uneducated, you're all stupid. I mean, when a million fucking billion people, not a billion, but millions and millions of people voted for Obama just because of his skin color, and he was cool. And don't say I'm the racist, because 99.5% of African Americans... And minorities, pretty much we're at like 95% voted for Obama. You can't tell me that's not the reason. That, that that was the reason. We were thinking about the Constitution, right? Those people, those highbrow people. No, 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 no. It's white people who don't vote your way. We're all ignorant. We don't know what we're doing. We're a bunch of hayseeds. We're the ones. Yeah. You know, the average American goes in to vote, and they vote like they voted since we formed this republic. 
Who's the person I'd like to have a beer with that I feel that I can at least relate to somewhat? That's why we vote for people. Not because of the Constitution. Not because they're so cool and they're my ringtone like Obama. No. It's based on what we relate to. So in one sentence I say, well, it's because he's black. That's why you voted for him. But that's why those people voted for him. They related to him. He was somebody that was like them. I voted for fucking McCain because McCain was a war hero. Not that I like McCain. Not that I thought he was the best president. There's never been the best presidential candidate to vote for. Maybe Reagan and the landslide second one against Dukakis. Maybe that's the only time Americans went in and go, yeah, that guy's got a shit one bag. But since then, we, we have a, a, a string of bad choices. So you distill it down to, who do I f- relate to? And I can relate to that guy more than I can relate to this guy. In the last election, a lot of people can relate to Trump because he talked like them. He thought like them. And he was speaking in normal people speak. But you people, now you got to come up with a million different rules. We're racists. We're white supremacists. We're all xenophobes. We're waxing for the 50s where women are barefoot and pregnant. I mean, I had another soundbite. I'm not going to play it. And it was how we're going to go out to a music break and then come into our news and social media nuggets. Good song. It's actually a music video they put together for SEAL Team because that's how we're starting. SEAL Team was fantastic uh, last week and I wanted to hit it on the show. Um, you know, this one... All you have to be to be a good Republican is kiss up to Trump. What what was Obama like? To be a good journalist, you sucked up to Obama. You, you didn't ask real questions. We have a million examples that we played on the show of, you're so smart, you're so perfect. When I grow up, I want my babies to be like you. Can you help me make a baby? Barack Obama. I mean, we've never had a president that was idolatized as much as Obama. It was a fucking cult. They made votive candles for him, for Christ's sake. You people thought he was the second coming. They put halos over his head on the cover of Time Magazine, folks. So yeah, there's a base that are a bunch of cultists for Trump. But to even compare it remotely to what Barack Hussein Obama was, the simple fact you never said a sane Hussein pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah. So, all right, that's our serious politics. Got a treat today. I I signed up for Army Times. I haven't done that forever, but they have way better stories for a military corner. So we're going to go to a music break, which once again is Ray, I Will Not Die, is called it. It's a good song. And we're going to come into a soundbite of uh, the, the best scene I've seen on regular TV in a long time. Regular, not Game of Thrones, just regular TV. Um, it was a freaking rescue mission, and they did a spies rig, and I got to admit, I got a little chubber.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. It's well to call me. Trying to get crazy with this scene. Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. I don't understand how Brett doesn't deserve a Purple Heart. I mean, he was injured in combat. Yeah. The military doesn't see it that way. They even uh, they even threaten my career if I keep pushing Brett's story. Unbelievable. You guys sacrificed so much only to be abandoned when you're no longer of use. I didn't mean you. Sorry, right. I feel pretty useless these days. Especially for Swanee. He was very lucky to have you in his life. Believe me. You know, maybe it's maybe it's better the warriors like us die heroes on the battlefield rather than come home and wilt away as forgotten statistics. So how you feel? Brett felt that way. Sorry, I know this isn't your favorite topic. I can handle it, please. I thought we broke up because you couldn't. That's fair. Part of me still thinks that I'd be a lot happier if I just kept my mouth shut and let you get on the plane to Mexico. No, you know what? It's, it's better to happen there on the tarmac than ten years down the road, right? Yeah, maybe. I just wonder if I performed emergency surgery on a wound that didn't actually exist. Uh, I'm assuming that you reached out to Ash to help push uh, Brett's story? No. My dad's let me down my whole life. Swanee deserves better than that. Your dad has a platform on cable news. And as a former SEAL, he can help keep you out of Harrington's crosshairs and let you get back to the to the pipe kicking. Store kicking. Or pipe hitting. <laughs> Whatever. Like my alpha male jargon's a bit rusty. Sorry. You really want me back operating, huh? Is this your way of telling me you've seen somebody? Is this your way of asking? Stop deflecting on Ash. I'm not sure he'd be willing to help. There's only one way to find out. He that dwells in the sacred place of the Most High. So hide in the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. I will say to my Lord, is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and whom I can trust. Break it down!
was a great show i mean it, it's still hitting the ptsd and purple hearts and self-reporting and all the stupid shit the military is doing so guys are basically not getting help the way they do and the man i'm telling you the saving of ray the character um was very moving tv he has lost his religion uh, there was a mission where he didn't let somebody get their last rites because they were trying to interrogate him. It screwed with his head. He started drinking heavy. He was going through the moral quandary of his job, and he kind of lost God. And in the process of losing God, um, this mission goes terribly wrong. His chute doesn't open. He ends up having to E&E, and he starts to stop a lady from doing her afternoon prayer because she's muslim and then he lets her and he just goes hey all right god your will not mine and he starts to e and e and he realizes he's out of ammo and he's gonna die and they just come in and save us it's kind of scooby-doo the way they saved him but you know it it was just a fantastic show i i gotta admit it was way cool um one other thing before we get into army times i watched gunny gunny time is on repeat now Every night they do an episode during the week on um, Outdoor Channel, and it was the last year that he did it. It was really good stuff. I think I spoke before on it. I mean, they've had some really cool shit. Um, and one of them was this semi-automatic shotgun. It's called the Fostec Origin 12. And it's sexy. Every so often, a shotgun comes along that's a game changer, and the Fostec Origin 12 shotgun is one of those due to its unique design. The lifeblood of the shotgun and the patented part of the shotgun is the gas system. As soon as you pull the trigger, two quarter-inch tubes pick up all the gas, moves it forward so the gun is very efficient. Most shotguns pick up the gas way down on the, at the end of the barrel with small uh, ports, which makes them not run as efficiently. So it's a box-fed semi-automatic weapon. There are five, eight, ten-round stick mags, 20 or 30-round drums. Other unique features about the gun are the fact that the barrel actually sits below the stock. It's pure physics. When the barrel lines up with the stock, you get a lot of climb when you shoot. 
With the Origin 12 shotgun, that's not the case. It helps reduce your recoil, keeps you on target, which at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. You have a non-reciprocating forward charging handle on the Origin 12 shotgun. And then the entire gun is meant to be ran from the operator's trigger finger, whether you're operating the safeties, the trigger, dropping magazines, or even, or even folding the stock. The stock does fold, and it does operate from the folded position. One of the best-selling features of the Origin 12 shotgun right now as well, and it's not considered by the ATF to be a shotgun, but we call it the SBV. And because we use a brace on the back of the weapon, and we also use a, a forward grip, this is classified on a 4473 as another, so you do not have to have NFA classification in order to be able to take this home. Because when it's folded, you're only just over 20 inches in a full 12-gauge shotgun. And that's your quick hit from FMG Publications. That was way cool. I'm telling you, that's, that's a cool weapon. So, latest Army Times came out. Um, I think the nice thing that was in here was the Fallen. They actually have a segment on it. And of this month, this is from Honor the Fallen. I used to do it in the beginning when um, we were still getting quite a few. Specialist Ryan Dennis Oren from Oren Riley died in Iraq on April 20th. Um, he was assigned to 2nd Battalion, 32nd Field Artillery, 1st Brigade, 101st Airborne Division. Specialist Michael T. Osario from Fort Carson, Colorado, died April 24th in a non-combat incident. Michael A. Thompson was assigned to Kobani Sia, died on April 29th from wounds suffered in a non-combat related. And Air Force Staff Sergeant Albert J. Miller died in non-combat Related incident at Al-Ubad Air Base in Oman, or excuse me, Qatar, which um, I didn't hear about those, so I brought them, and God be with their families. It's uh, really just rough, That's especially the non-combats. Um, their first article that I thought was cool, newest night vision goggle finishes testing will field in September. The Army's latest iteration of night vision uh just to be honest i paused it and got my damn glasses (laughs) the army's latest iteration of night vision which adds binocular vision and lets soldiers see their weapon sight and their device will go to unit this fall army times previously reported that a unit deploying to south korea in october will be carrying the enhanced night vision goggle binocular but a new release of Program Executive Officer lays out more details of the ENVGB. Um, the, Google, the Goggle recently completed a two-week limited user evaluation test with soldiers that led up to a 36-hour platoon situational training exercise. An armor brigade combat team would deploy with the device of so Lieutenant James, blah, 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 blah. So let's get to the good shit. The ENVGB, a dual tube binocular system for improved situational awareness, depth perception, higher resolution, white phosphor tubes instead of traditional green, a fused thermal imager for better targeting recognition in degraded visual environments such as dust, smoke, and darkness, Augmented reality aspects from the NetWarrior display, wireless and connectivity with the family of weapons site individual, uh, so they can see the reticle. The wires connection gives soldiers an option to use rapid target acquisition software so they can shoot from the hip and around corners. So 
Um, they show it. It's got a kind of a thermal night vision in between uh, look. And I, I think we covered this a long time ago on the podcast, but the, the limited information compared to this. The 13 Heroes getting awarded an upgrade to Distinguished Service Cross. We covered a couple uh, months ago, but I didn't have all the names. Staff Sergeant Stephen Booker, a take commander with A Company, 1st Battalion, 64th Armored Regiment, 4th Combat Team, 3rd Infantry Division. He was killed in action. He'll get a posthumously. Captain, then 1st Lieutenant Andrew Bunderman. Sergeant Daniel Cowart, Sergeant First Class Larry Hawks, Chief Warrant Officer 3, Christopher Palumbo, a Blackhawk pilot, um, and Chief Warrant Officer Jason Myers. Uh, most of them are posthumous, which is pretty bad. Then this weird one, newest helicopters to go to high-priority guard before some active units. Likeliness Army Chief of Staff has made guard aviators the future of a real part of the service's next step. Army Vice Chief of Staff General James McConville said the newest helicopter under development, which will replace many UH-60 Blackhawks and CH-47 Chinooks, will not go to the tip of the spear units such as the 101st Airborne Division or the 82nd or 160th, but at the same time, high-priority guard Speaking of the annual meeting of the Army Aviation Association of America, McConville estimated the future long-range assault aircraft, which would be fielded in 2830, will go to them first. Simultaneously, the Army is developing a partial AH-64 Apache replacement, the future attack reconnaissance aircraft. The FARA could also go to Army Guard units. Hmm. That's kind of interesting. I mean, if they push all the aviation assets to the guard, that's really fucking stupid. Huge article, which I'm not going to read. The Pacific Push. New rotations, thousand more troops heading there as the Army readies for a new kind of fight. Um, called Defender Pacific will send a division headquarters with multiple brigades. Five to ten thousand soldiers over there. And the exercise will focus on the South China Sea, EC, and it'll be a 45-day deployment. It's looking like um, the new to Pacific rotation will likely be 34 days with division-sized force. Army forces in the Pacific, there's 18,400 in uh, McCord, Fort Lewis, 16,500 stationed in 4,700 rotational in Korea, 23,500 in Hawaii, 12,800 in Alaska, and 1,700 in Japan. Pacific Pathway Task Force, nine to 1,100 soldiers and fifteen to 1,700. And they're going to be doing big operations, and this, as everybody knows, is China. China. Uh, yeah, that's, that's probably not good. Iraqi interpreter earns U.S. citizenship after bureaucratic problems. That's a neat story. Read that one. Not going to take it. Um, they did do a big poll. Veterans and military families won out of Afghanistan. Concerns Veterans of America did it. And they're saying 55% of the surveys said they think that the military presence there is important. But 45% say they need to give it up. Yeah, probably not happening. Not in our lifetime, at least. Then they did this one, and this will be our last little snippet. Thought this was kind of cool. 
Um, I'm going to try as much as possible going forward. Whenever I get this, this is what I go with. Best for Vets Employers 2019, the top finishers. The number one, First Data Court. First Data is a team of eight recruiters dedicated their either entirely or almost entirely to finding veterans and service members to work at the company. Company representatives also attend 74 veteran job fairs over the course of last year. Southern Company, the power company, has many positions aligned with military occupational specialties. Comcast NBC Universal, that surprised the shit out of me. Intuitive Research and Technology Corp, USAA, makes sense. Government and Nonprofits, Harris County Sheriff's Office is entirely veteran. Athes, if you work there, you must like hell because they're a bunch of jackasses. Orange County Sheriff's Office. Yeah, they had the rankings for profit companies. Uh, let me see anything that sticks out as being bad. U.S. Bank's on the list. Verizon's on the list. Capital One. The rest are mostly, um, you know, contractors. Hilton's number 18. The actual company that has the hotels. Um... Wells Fargo's number 32. Amazon's number 34. We're flipping the page. Government nonprofits. Uh, let's see if anything we stands out. Most of these are sheriff's department. Postal service. That's bullshit because they didn't take me because of my disability. Jackasses. Um, yeah, the rest are like wildlife and stuff like that. So, anywho, thought this is a different way of doing it. Military.com gives you some, but not a lot of information. Army Times is pretty freaking in-depth on things, and I thought that was a different way to do our military corner. I was going to play a soundbite to end us out and head us into college crazy, um, but for time I won't because we do have a lot of soundbites today. There was a soldier pardon this week. And NBC, CNN, they all were pissed off that Trump pardoned this soldier. And my point in playing it was just to highlight, do we remember when Bradley Manning, that was his name at the time, so I'm not misgendering or talking about his dead name, when he was pardoned by Obama, it was the best thing ever, and he gave up state secrets. It was huge compared to this soldier. Um, But the media, once again, who hate soldiers... They revert back to themselves whenever something like this happens, unless you're part of one of the specific uh, intersectional groups that they adore, and then all of a sudden they get amnesia about what they have done forever. So I thought, pretty hypocritical, so wanted to touch it. Let's go into college crazy. I usually start off with a serious one, but this one I just thought was perfect because... We document how intertwined the intersectionality world the Democratic Party are. So this one just makes total sense. College students turn to therapy donkeys to help them de-stress. This is uh, fucking unbelievable. The State University of New York, Plattsburgh, offered students a chance to de-stress with therapy donkeys just ahead of finals. Today until 3, there will be wellness fair at Macomb Hall. Behind the building, you can find therapy donkeys. Yeah. Therapy donkeys. That's fucking unbelievable. Our next story, Berkeley student government ponders letting non-citizens vote. 
University of California Berkeley Student Government hosted a community forum in early May to learn about an effort to add on to the 2020 ballot non-citizen voting for Berkeley City elections. Student Government Senators James Lee and Andy Theo Cockeras co-hosted the event. Doesn't surprise us, does it? No. They said many of the same individuals... Uh, Many of the same individuals who moaned about foreign interference in our 2016 elections are too happy to extend the franchise to individuals who bear no affiliation to the United States beside temporary residents within the borders. That was a uh, conservative student, which is a surprise there's one there's actually there, but that is the crux of it. Let's be honest. You are still talking about Russia, but somehow the Democrats, oh yeah, look these people that don't even fucking, aren't even citizens vote. Yeah, okay. Professor gives sexual pleasure and response an infant's presentation. I am not making this up. University of North Texas had a session, sexual pleasure and response in infants. Big League Politics reported, and the colleagues fixed did it. The textbook for the same course, Psychology and Sexual Behavior, suggests students take field trips to preschools and elementary schools to observe students' sexual interactions. The lessons plan on sexuality and in infants, which can be viewed here, is from the 13th edition of our sexuality course listed textbook, reported the fix. One section of the document titled Teaching Ideas suggests that instructors take students on field trips to preserve children possibly engaging in sexual interactions during recess hours. Take the class to a local elementary school playground or ask permission for a few of your students to attend various school playgrounds, preschools, or daycare centers during recess to observe behavior of children. I, man, why is that a course? They say the objective, describe human sexuality from historical and multicultural perspective to define major theoretical perspectives that influence the scientific study of human sexuality, to explain the significant research methodologies within the discipline, to examine the social construct nature of sexual identities, to describe how sexual overlaps with various social institutions, and to recognize the changing nature of social norms. I am sorry, liberals. Map minor attracted person is not going to become a social norm. You fucking sick fucks. No, it's not a thing. It's an illness. Gender dysphoria is an illness. You say it's not. There's no way you're going to get Americans to buy off on, I'm just born this way. My truth is that I like looking at naked kids. That's not a thing. That's not a truth that is disgusting. It is a mental illness, and they should be fucking sterilized. It's a simple fix. Me and my wife talk about this all the time. If you're a pedophile, you just get sterilized. Problem solved. You become Varus. Spoiler alert, he's dead. 4-H event, teaching students about horse booted to make room for asylum seekers. This was in New Mexico. It was a huge event. Been scheduled for months. They booted them motherfuckers and brought in asylum seekers because those people are more important than your regular citizens. Not surprised. Anybody surprised out there? I'm not. National Review shreds New York Times on alleged hunger of college students. Here we go. These poor college students. Nobody's ever been struggling when they're young. Oh, that just never happened for anybody but these poor millennials. 
New York Times is a toast to Democrats for May 2nd article on an op- opinion survey with this provocative title. Tuition or dinner? Nearly half a college student survey and new report are going hungry. Many routinely skip meals and take poverty naps because they cannot afford groceries. In the coming weeks, thousands of college students will walk across the stage and proudly accept their diplomas. Many of them will be hungry. A senior at Lehman College in Bronx dreams of starting her day with breakfast. An undergraduate at New York University said he has been so delirious from hunger he's caught himself walking down the street not realizing where he's going. A health science student at Stony Brook University on Long Island describes poverty naps where she decided to go to sleep rather than deal with the hunger pains. Top Democrats took to Twitter. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio. This is just an example of what I'm talking about when I say there's plenty of money in the world. It's just in the wrong hands. America's one of the center. Camelia Harris did it. Sawwell did it. Miriam Williamson did it. National View took, took him to the fucking mat. Wasn't buying these antidotes. He took in part. Hunger and food insecurity are two different measurements. The first is physical. The second is often emotional. For instance, a student could be classified as food insecure if he said he worried whether his food would run out. Couldn't afford to eat balanced meals and ate a bit less because there wasn't enough money for food. That's not at the level of delirious from hunger. This survey had very low response rate, meaning the people who answered it are almost certainly not representative of the general population. Most students who were sent the real college survey did not answer it. Institutions sent survey invitations to an estimated 1,478,935 students, but they only got 5.8% back. That's 85,000 kids. They survey offered a chance to win 100 bucks to do it, so those people probably did it. Let, let's just break it down. Me and my wife, when I was a fucking E4, we went hungry. In the Army, I trained to go hungry. During war, I went hungry. During war, I went thirsty. You're going to fucking seriously expensive schools. That was your choice. You signed up for that loan. That was your choice. If you didn't budget and plan, that was also your choice. But to make everything once a free, that I'm going to hear it. I come out. We need to pay for the college, pay for the food, give them a car, give them a house, and show there's a job. Socialism, socialism, socialism. So they can vote. It's the only reason. Another university votes to boot Chick-fil-A from campus. We don't sell pornography in the bookstore. Let's find out what that quote's for. Even though the fast food chain Chick-fil-A has routinely fended off the hate leftists have directed it simply because the company's late founder expressed support for biblical morality, another university has voted to ban the restaurant from campus. According to LifeSite News, the faculty at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo voted overwhelmingly Tuesday to recommend expelling Chick-fil-A from campus. Strangely, the school likened the presence of Chick-fil-A on campus and there had been one there for 25 years, to pornography in the campus bookstore. We don't sell pornography in the bookstore, and we don't have to have hooters on campus. We already pre-selected those kind of things based on our existing values, Academic Senate Vice Chair Thomas Gutierrez told the on-campus publication Mustang News. This is a similar thing. The difference is we're actually profiting from this. So our money, every dollar a student is spending at chicken fuckers is going to, to these causes that are a violation of our values. 
38 of the Cal Poly Academic Senate, 44 member voted to force Chick-fil-A off campus, university spokesman said. While university administration passively disagree with the values of some of the organizations the president of Chick-fil-A has chosen to make personal donations to, we do not believe in responding to intolerance with intolerance. Yeah, bullshit. You're just fucking saying that. So while this is going on, let's get to the money shot. New rankings shows Chick-fil-A is thriving. Chick-fil-A is now the third biggest U.S. restaurant chain, and its sales has tripled the last decade. Thank you, Democrats! That's what they're saying at Chick-fil-A right now. Please, give us free ad. I don't even see the cow anymore on TV. They don't even do ads. They don't have to. The Democrats do it for them every day. Every time you do one of these protests, the lines fill up, and some goddamn chickens get fucked up. There are chickens just sitting around going, yeah, I'll make it till I'm three or four. Then they see the Chick-fil-A fuck. I'm fucked! Yeah. This next one just pissed me the fuck off, but this is Oregon. This is what the bubble is, and that's why I won't live in the bubble. Parents sue Oregon school district for $1 million, alleged teacher asked son if he's transgender. Oh, Jesus Christ. Multiple times, an eight-year-old son was held back from recess for a one-on-one conversation about his gender identity. They had no idea. The mother and father in Woodburn are now suing the school district for nearly a million dollars if they say a second-grade teacher singled out their son by asking him if he was transgender. Parents say the teacher had inappropriate conversations with the child at school without their permission. To protect their son's privacy, the parents are not sharing their identity. He feels different now. He feels confused. To hear your son say that on a couch, talking to a therapist, holding back tears, it's heartbreaking, said the mother. The parents say they want to shine a light on a secret lesson they claim were taking place at Nellie Muir Elementary School. She should have notified us if that was the case and if he did say he felt like a girl, said the boy's father. Parents said the teacher asked their son if he thought he was a girl multiple times. They say the teacher held a boy back from recess several times to watch videos and read books about being transgender. The parents say the teacher got those materials from one of her transgender friends. Parents said they had no idea these conversations were taking place in April of 2018. Mother said she found out when her son brought home one of the books from the school. He came home Friday with his books in his backpack, the mother said. Parents say this all started when their son started using the staff restroom because of stomach problem. They say their son was uncomfortable using the boys' bathroom because of the medical condition. However, they believe the teacher assumed it was because he thought he was transgender. Still today, a year later, if he plays with my niece, he's a girl in that moment. If he plays with my nephew, he's a boy, says his mother. The mother says her son was left confused and hurt after being singled out. Now, a year later, the nine-year-old is taking anxiety medication and going to therapy, according to his parents. The family said the boy's confusion and emotional distress has also infected the entire fucking family. Who are you is the book. Yeah. Bonnie Silkham, a father in Woodburn, says teacher held one blah, 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 blah. Dad had no idea. The parents say the teacher still works at the school. In May 2018, the school sent out a letter. In part, it stated that evidence was found that the teacher did pull the student from regular school activities, shared potentially controversial material with the students, and discussed gender identity without parents' notification. And we don't give a fuck! Folks, this is why the increased rate of transgender 
our gender dysphoria is happening. It's not because kids are actually all of a sudden we're free to make the choice that my dick doesn't mean anything. That's that has nothing to do with it. It's getting put in their head by TV, by movies, by fucking cartoons. They're shoving it in everything. It, it, it's what they want to do. That's why they want everybody in Disney and every comic book to be gay. They hate heterosexuals because of their perceived feeling of how they've been treated in their life, which is probably no different than the rest of us. But they think it's because they're queer and they're here. But I would literally beat this teacher to death. How dare you put this in my child's head? How dare you? But the how dare you? Once again, I wouldn't really beat her to death. I don't have any kids, so it's a figurative statement for those who are out there in the thought police. Folks, this how dare you is happening every day in our schools. Every day for every intersexual fucking thought that they can come up with from kindergarten to fucking full four-year fucking college degree shoving the religion of progressivism in their heads, whether you want them to have it or not, it's happening. It was happening with my kids. My kids went to Horrell Hill Elementary in South Carolina during a very bad racial time in South Carolina. Talked about it on the show. All they learned was black history. I one time asked my kids, so you learn about Washington, George Washington, cherry cheese, trees, and all that shit? Who's George Washington? That was the answer. They knew about Grover Washington. Now it's just less important things. Like, you're a girl. Parents lied to you. Come to the good team. Yeah. It's it's a fad and it's being pushed. Then we got Australia. Sweet Frickin' mother of God, when will it stop? Australian school renames Mother's Day. Principal states, we no longer subscribe to a binary world. Yeah. They called it Acknowledgement Day. We no longer subscribe to a binary world, he told the Daily Mail. In previous years, the school has hosted a fundraising stall where children would buy Mother's Day merchandise, such as mugs, trinkets, candles, and soaps. But now the stalls will be called the Appreciation Stall, instead where children can buy gifts for anyone. Principal Janny D. Pila, if you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag, wrote in the school newsletter. You will see further in this newsletter a fantastic poster for our first Acknowledgement Day. We'll be holding two of these days each year. One to coincide with the traditional Mother Day and the traditional Father's Day. Shut up! The Australian Liberty Alliance ripped the alteration, writing, We believe the natural family is the core building blocks of human society and must be protected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A preschool in Sydney, Australia, is also on the anti-Mother's Day bandwagon. As Daily 10 reported on April 30th, the Learn and Laugh Early Childhood Center and Drummoyan emailed parents on Tuesday to let them know that Mother's and Father's Day activities would no longer be going ahead. We have spent a lot of time discussing and reflecting on this, not with you or anybody other than our liberal friends, but we discussed it a lot and believe we want to be more inclusive. Want to include all families. Well, if it's Mother's Day, give two fucking cards to your two fucking mothers. 
going to change holidays for point zero seven. Zero seven. I misspoke on the last podcast. It's 5.1% is gay and gender dysphoric. 4.5% gay. Point zero seven. Tranny. Folks. What the fuck fuck? Uh, mm, it just hurts my spleen. Then we got the crazy vegan shit, Vox. A 2018 study examined 30 cookbooks by 26 celebrity chefs. The average number of animal deaths per recipe. What the fuck? Mario Batali, 5.25. Gordon Ramsay, 1.23. Ina Garnet, 0.5. Paula Dean, 0.3. What is 0.3 of an animal? Do I just kill his ass? Chop off a nice little rump roast. I mean, seriously, what do you get? People actually read it, and this is no shit. They're counting individual anchovies. Yeah. Another person. Some idiot thought the study up, then another group of idiots funded it, then some other idiots conducted the study. Still more idiots decided to publish it, and then the idiots at Vox thought it was important enough to push on Twitter. Yeah. Wow. Come the fuck on. Paula Dean be not she she's not fucking vegan. She'd be killing some butter. That's the first ingredient on everything. So we're going to make buttered cookies. First ingredient, butter. Then some more butter, and then some butter. Then I got CNN dipping into the stupid. Um uh, climate change. So the American Psychology Association has put together a 69-page guide for mental health professionals to help them address climate anxiety or stall. Solastaliga. Solstaligia. I don't even know how to fucking say it. They just made up a goddamn world word. Anxiety about global warming. This is a tweet from CNN. Anxiety about global warming has become such a concern that American psychologists created a 69-page climate thing from the article because, you know, Brian Seltzer was all over this. A study in Wendy Peterson's Boring, Wendy Peterson Borings, if you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag, climate change focus class said she woke at 2 a.m. and then cried for two solid hours about the warming ocean. This is computer science major, Peterson Boring said. Peterson Boring, an associate professor of history, religious studies, women and gender studies at Willamette University in Oregon. (laughs) There you go. It's fucking Oregon. It's always Oregon. Has been teaching about climate change for a little over a decade. In that short time, she has watched her students' fear, grief, stress, and anxiety grow. Even for people who aren't directly affected by natural disasters, climate change is causing measurable mental distress. Higher temperatures alone have led to more suicides, increased psychiatric hospitalizations, and have hurt our sleep. Oh, really? That's increased the suicides. I thought it was tranny shame. That's what you told us. That because we won't accept everybody and their gender dysphoria, that's why they're off on themselves. But now it's climate? Really? Okay. Which can also harm mental health. These problems will get worse as temperatures continue to rise, research shows. Oh. Of course you're getting fear and anxiety. You're telling them the world's ending in fucking 11 years and 5 months for fuck's sake. I think that's where we're at. Wasn't it like six months ago? I can't remember. Is it 12 years what you're telling them? Oh, Jesus. Atticus Lee, 
About every 10 years or so, the world of science predicts the end of the world in 20 years. And he tweeted this quote, and this goes in line with everything progressives push. This is the progressive quote of quotes. The whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety by menacing it with an endless series of hobgoblins and all of them imaginary. H.L. Menchkin. It is the quote. It sums it up. Born Lomber. We're losing a million species in the next decade. We heard in 40 years ago. We heard it 40 years ago. Time Magazine, 8-4-1980, Volume 116, Issue 5. In decades, we'd be dead. Another tweet. Hilarious. Hurry, you triggered snowflakes. Run to your safe space. Don't forget your coloring books. <laughs> but to make matters worse... Kimmel had that piece of shit Clooney on, and they went into it. The Trump administration has done everything they can to do nothing about climate change. They just don't listen to scientists. A lot of people don't, not just when it comes to climate change. Uh, Scientific fact is suddenly seen as some kind of partisan scare tactic, and it endangers all of us. So one major celebrity is spearheading a new initiative to raise awareness of this foray into ignorance. The volumes of invaluable knowledge gathered over centuries are now threatened by an epidemic of dumb idiots saying dumb You know what this is? It's a snowball. So it's very, very cold out. Dumb is highly contagious, infecting the minds of even the most stable geniuses. If you have a windmill anywhere near your house, they say the noise causes cancer. You tell me that one, okay? Wow. As a result, rampant dumb now threatens our health, our security, and our planet. Fortunately, there is hope. At United to defeat untruthful misinformation and support science. You dumbass. Your generous contribution to you dumbass will provide desperately needed knowledge to dumb idiots on Facebook and Twitter all around the world. Just $20 will convince one idiot that climate change is real. 50 will teach five brainless dumb to vaccinate their kids. And 200 will teach 10 knuckle draggers that dinosaurs existed, but not at the same time as people. Together, we can win the fight against dumb but we can't do it alone. Call this number today. Operators are standing by. Don't be an idiot. The world needs your support. You dumbass. God, these people, it's a fucking cult. To the next cult, which is, of course, transgender shit. Maggie Martins has a really, really long piece of Deadspin Wednesday about trans women being denied participation in sports as powerlifting. USA Powerlifting response to transgender athlete is head spinning. An excerpt. USA Powerlifting response to transgender athletes is head spinning. This, the thing about all this talk equating hormone replacement therapy to to doping and the threat to biological females and the unfair advantage of male puberty is that it's based entirely on social perceptions of gender. There's absolutely no scientific evidence at all that supports their position, said Rachel McKinnon. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Jesse Single, that's been quoting a philosophy professor, argues that there's no scientific evidence puberty gives biological males any athletic advantage. Rather, this belief is based entirely on social perceptions of gender. Really? 
Mm-hmm. A tweet from somebody. This is like taking your car to a philosopher to get your oil changed, only to be told that clean oil is an artifact of white privilege. <laughs> Woo, that's good. Then we get the usual Dr. Julia Shaw five times. Trans women are women. Uh, trans women are women five times. Trans women are women when they do all the stuff they d- do. This includes when they do athletes. In my opinion, feminism has to be intersexual and trans inclusives. Who's with me? Somebody respond. To quote the children from STEM school in Colorado that we'll be covering on our violent left, mental health five times. Another one. From the mouth of babes beside you as a psychologist could gain a lot of patience from your practice. Practice makes perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's the queer feminist mermaid looking to unseat Senator Susan Collins. I swear to God, this is a real thing. She Okay. Bren Kidman, attorney and artist, filed to run against Collins last week because of the Senator's speech and vote of favor of Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. In an interview with the Washington Free Beacon made it clear that queer feminist mermaid identify identity is artistic, not a serious identity. I'm a playful person. I'm not going to pretend I'm all serious all the time because I'm not. I'm mermaid-esque in nature. Watch her win. That's all I have to say. I just watch her win. Oh, Jesus. Mm. A queer mermaid. That's a new one. BBC promotes drag syndrome, drag queens with Down syndrome. I'm not reading it. That's just it right now. They had pictures of Down syndrome kids dressed like drag. Now, anybody out there want to tell me that's not child abuse? Down syndrome. How can they conceptualize gender to begin with? They don't. But it goes right into the next one. Converse launches LGBTQEIEIO shoe line featuring child drag queen. So now we have tranny shoes. Are they shoes that think they're boots? Is that what it is? Because I don't know. I don't know what a transgender shoe is. Maybe it's slippers that that believe that they're cleats. Okay. On Monday, Converse announced that they had partnered with folks connected to the EIEIO community to promote their new line of shoes known as the company's Pride Collection. And they brought out Desmond Napoli's 11-year-old fucking drag queen whose parents should be jailed. The company's site showed cases a signature rainbow shoe for Desmond who's labeled as a drag kid LGBTQ EIEIO advocate under a photo of a child posing in drag, is a quote, there is no normal. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to punch people. What started as a rebellious fight for equality has since grown into a loud, proud assertion of true self-expression, reads the site's Pride Collection page. Celebrate the 50th anniversary of Pride with Glitter Dip Collection. A parade-worthy sneakers, including our first-ever trans flag design, because equal rights are for everyone. There you go. Get on top of the frickin' point seven business plan. I want the point seven market. Oh, Jesus Christ. They're owned by Nike, so this doesn't surprise me. But to top it all off, 
I found this on Twitter. And I'm just saying this because, gee, oh, fuck, somebody shoot me. Y'all know what we celebrating today? Mother's Day. And I am so thankful to have a mother like mine who supports me through all my craziness and loves on me and buys me chips ahoy cookies, chewy, the original, everything under the sun. My mom knows I love my cookies. So get those cookies. And what's the sweet gesture for you to do to your mama? Your real mama, your drag mama, whichever mama, somebody, whoever take care of you, whoever you feel or consider your mama, it's their day today. Get them a cookie, or two, a pack. Buy them all the chips and hoys in the world. I don't know. Or get some milk. Get her some milk, too. You can't buy the cookie without some milk, honey. Get those cookies. It's Mother's Day. It's time to celebrate, love, all that. Cookies. Get them. And if you don't, how you going to celebrate Mother's Day? It's the new chocolates. I guess he didn't get the memo that it's not Mom's Day. It's acknowledgement. Appreciation, some stupid made-up shit. Gay Polish artists may face prison for posting images of Virgin Mary and baby Jesus with rainbow halos. NBC News is upset about it, but in Poland, they don't fuck around with this shit. And last, to bring us to the fucking reality, transgender people in China are classified as mentally ill and forced to perform highly dangerous surgery on themselves. China's failing transgender people rights group Amnesty International says trans people forced to turn to unsafe, unregulated, gender-affirming treatments. Many risk their lives by buying black market drugs and attempting self-surgery. One trans woman nearly died after trying to remove her male gentinals at home. It's a do-it-yourself kit. Do I think that's great? No. But that's kind of a reality check on somehow we're infringing on transgender rights in America. Maybe it's because you're applying for a job in retail and they can't have somebody looking like a fucking circus freak. Could that be it? I mean, people don't get hired because of piercings. People don't get hired because of multicolored hair. People don't get hired for a whole tattoos on their grill. Why would you think a, a business wants to hire somebody who is me with a full beard and a wig. They're probably not going to hire me. Weirdos. So, the trailer for Lesbian Batwoman came out. I was going to play it, but you really don't get any good stuff with it. It's just a bunch of goddamn music. The teaser doesn't affirm much other than a few shots of Ruby Rose, the dark suit with her punkish hair blowing in the wind. Releases follows the CW's picking up the series to make TV history with the first gay lead character in live action. Superhero series reports deadline according to Hollywood Reporter. The rival of Batwoman breaks several barriers. Not only is the character a vowed lesbian, but she'll also be played by an openly gay Ruby Rose. Woo! There you go. If it fails, they'll say it's because of trans homophobia. That one that cracked me up. You don't understand that gender is a construct. It's just some shit white men made up because white men are fucking horrible. Then you get an article like this. Lefty media pan new male makeup brand as sexist. One company started marketing makeup for men and people are freaking out, but it's not who you might think. Although the brand Warpaint has been out for months, the UK company Make Male Makeup line went viral with a video tweet on May 8th. We couldn't find a makeup brand formulated specifically for men's skin, so we created Warpaint. Now to most people, the objectable part is simply a man wearing makeup to begin with. 
But to the woke left on Twitter and their chroniclers in the media, the problem is war paints toxic masculinity, male insecurity, cultural appropriation, and lack of inclusive shades. War paint makeup is Newsweek for men. Latest violent branding targeting male insecurity. Arthur Andrew Whalen begins a new makeup brand is targeting men with skulls, tattoos, muscles, and violence inherent in its name, saying that overt focus on violence is a staple of masculinity is more notable innovation. Whalen drew a juxtaposition between that and war paint effort to be environmentally conscious. Jesus Christ. Why? What? It's like you really don't believe what you're talking about, folks. You should be happy dudes are putting makeup on because gender is a construct. But then when they do it, ooh, that's just sexist. Okay. Katie Kirk got some quick hits. It's ridiculous. Women do not, don't do half the news and win half the Oscars. She's an objective journalist. Yeah, yeah, she is. Woman said man who stopped to help her when car broke down, assaulted her, and ruined his life. It was all a lie. One she accused him of rape. The charges were dropped when she realized she forgot she gave consent. Two, the sex was consensual, but the condom fell off, and he was accused of sexual assault at Yale. Suspended him, but that was bullshit. Three, just three cases, folks. One podcast. We do one a podcast. Anne Hathaway closes out the quick hits, which says female con artists are better than males because of the wage gap. <laughs> Note to self, don't watch anything Anne Hathaway's in. Well, that's fucking, doesn't even make sense. That's circular logic. Then we got the beautiful left. Illinois might start charging $1,000 per year to own an electric vehicle. They're going to charge them more. Does that make any sense? I hate to be on the fucking tree hugger side, but you want people to get electric cars, then you're going to punish them for having electric cars. Kind of defeats the whole whining about electric cars, Illinois. San Francisco weighs an IPO tax for a slice of tech wealth. They're going to go from uh, 0.38 to 1.5 because they need to pay for all the poop on their streets. That, that went over like a turd in a punch bowl. I'm sure more people will move out. The, the left just doesn't understand business. If you're going to fucking punish people like Amazon and everything, you're going to lose a lot of fucking tax revenue. I mean, let's just be honest. You need that tax revenue to pay for all your fucking social causes. Woman stashed, uh, and we're in our crazy crime. Woman stashed seven syringes in her gooch. Yeah. What may be a U.S. record? A Florida woman has seven syringes stashed inside her body orifices, which is her gooch, when she was booked in the county jail late Tuesday night. Police were called to a Burger King on May 7th in reference to a female snarling and yelling at staff. <laughs> snarling. The suspect, cops were told, was refusing to leave the Largo restaurant. When officers arrived, they detected several indicators of a narcotic usage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 35-year-old Westcott pictured her right. Consented to search of her property in person, according to arrest affidavit. During a pat-down, Westcott pulled away as an officer searched the right air- side of her groin area. The cop reported feeling something hard in her vagina area. While refusing to identify the item, Westcott reportedly spontaneously uttered, She fucked up. 
Westcott investigator said was given many opportunities on the scene to tell deputies that was in her gooch. She didn't, so she got a charge for every one of them when she went to the jail. Yeah. We watched a thing the other day. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It's on Netflix. It's in a jail, and it's basically trying to be an Orange is New Black documentary. And they made this young girl who seemed like the girl next door, but she got crazy and tried to kill a cop with a car and drove 100 miles an hour. It was just really, she's fucked. She had a $100,000 bond. And they said, they didn't show this, but they go, bend over and cough. Bend over, spread, and cough. But then when she did it, they go, no, you need to open up your vagina. And I just thought, that is a job I don't want. I don't, it, the perverts in the world will go, why wouldn't you? No, that's not the vagina you want to look at. I'm just throwing it out there. And what happens when you bend over, part your vagina, and cough? Do the seven syringes pop out? I mean, seriously. Seven syringes in a vagina. I know babies come out of there, but goddamn, how do you even do that without sticking yourself? Victoria's Secret Fashion Show leaving Network TV, which really surprised me because it seemed like it was really popular. And last but not least, New Zealand DIY Coffin Clubs take the sting out of death. It's a whole group of people that are old and they build coffins for people and they build their own coffin somehow to make it realize that they're going to end up in a coffin. Okay, there's a theory in there somewhere. So let's move over to our hate tweets. Hate tweet of the day! There's a big jump at the border in recent weeks. Why is this happening now? Well, I can tell you it's, it's slowly been progressing. Um, ever since um, families have heard the word that if you, if you bring a child, you will be released. So uh, they're talking to their family members. Smugglers are encouraging them. We, as we interview the individuals in our custody, uh, they're telling us that they're being told, if I, if I come, if I come with a child, I will be released. Does the show of force at the border, deployment of troops, and even the president's rhetoric, some of which I, I'm sure they heard, Does that uh, affect the dynamic at all? I mean, do some people come imagining, well, I better come now because the policy may change? Or or is it just down to the smugglers? It's down to the smugglers. The smugglers are telling them to come. This is a profit for them. They are looking at this. They look at the the migrants as a commodity, Mm -hmm. uh, and they put them at risk. They're not telling the families how dangerous of a journey it's going to be along the way, and they truly don't care about them. They care about the money that they're making. Currently, I have more people in my country custody than I have Border Patrol agents along the southwest border. Well, yeah. Is it your view that as they come and as they're questioned that they are, these are principally um, us, economic migrants, right, or folks fleeing danger at home? The majority of them that we interview are economic migrants. Um, they're coming from a po- poverty-stricken countries. Um, and, and unfortunately, that does not meet the asylum regulations um, for them. So it's, it is the economic factors that are pushing. Some of them do have asylum claims. Um, but then we have the pull factor of if you bring a child, you will be released. That's DHS just dropping the bomb on TV. They also say 1% of Guatemala and Honduras has already entered. 1% of the population. That's how bad it is at the border. Border Patrol represented record number of agents contracting illness. That doesn't surprise me. Measles, all the other diseases they're bringing in. It's just horrible. Um, 
Sanctuary City, Oakland, near broke, will use gas tax money to keep the lights on because they're paying so much for illegals. That just doesn't surprise me. Self-deportations on the rise dramatically under Trump administration. It's not what you think it is, because that's what I thought it was. But what it is, is these illegals are just deporting themselves. They realize that we have an administration that isn't going to fucking just hand it out. It's becoming harder to get in the country. And it's up 17% um, from 17 to 18. So I think that's a good thing. But why I have it all in the hate section is because Trump said this, omitted from this, which says, well, we can't shoot these people. Somebody said something in the audience, and it sent the world into a tizzy. When you have 15,000 people marching up, and you have hundreds and hundreds of people, and you have two or three border security people that are brave and great, and don't forget, we don't let them, and we can't let them use weapons. We can't. Other countries do. We can't. I would never do that. But how do you stop these people? You can't. There's no... That's only in the panhandle you can get away with that statement. Only in the panhandle. If you think everything's literal, that's your problem. Soros Investment helps bail out the flailing Vice Media, and that's why Vice Media is so liberal. In line with it, State TV, MSDNC host Al Sharpton meets with Speaker Pelosi to advise on policy. If that was a Fox person, where where would we be? Here comes our AOC stuff. I put it in hate tweets because this lady's just a fucking moron. Labor, labor, read all about it. Your direct action for today, don't take an Uber or Lyft just for the day. Cabs are fine, you can do it. It's a small but big way you can help all the drivers you've, you've met get paid more to feed their families and support themselves. Somebody said, except for Uber and Lyft drivers, you imbecile. <laughs> Not many people actually protested. It actually hurt people. And then her and Bernie had a meeting of the minds. As you could tell, there's not a lot of mind here. What we can then say is, A, we should have a non-for-profit public option for basic banking services, and we should be piloting these projects sure. um, through the U.S. Postal Service or, or in any other number of ways. Democrats, please run on making more agencies like the post office, please. That's from Bethany S. Mandel. Who, what, what? Somebody else said, you might as well just say it's the DMV. They're, they're horrible. She then gets attacked. GOP's talking smack about the post office courses. They have no ideas. The funny thing about that is the GOP-owned business model that hurt them. They forced USPS to pre-fund pension decades out instead of year to year. Really the biggest, boldest idea in the war. GOP's proposed wall, GBG, because the whole world's like, are you a moron? They can't get my fucking mail. Why would I give them my money? Later on, when we say tax the rich, we mean nesting dull yacht rich for pers- profit person prison rich, Betsy DeVos student loan rich, trick the country into war rich, subsidizing workforce with food stamp rich, because that kind of rich is simply not good for society, and it's like 10 people. No, it's not. No, it's not. Roll Call came out with this. 
first major legislative proposal for Representative AOC calling for a 15% cap on credit card interest rates get backing for 2020 presidential hopefuls. Somebody goes, what about the Green New Deal? Now what she's doing is good. They should go out to the credit card industry that preys on poor people. I got it. But are we going to forget her Green New Deal? I mean, are we serious, media? Then Vice asks experts if AOC will be president and they have her on Mount Rushmore. I shit you fucking not. And we just said Soros paid for it. You follow me? Was it entirely possible that AOC will find a way of effective navigating the political challenges, retaining her digital frame? But it's worth remembering that she's a political neophyte who openly acknowledged how jarring her rise to prominence has been and how tying it is to play the great hope or villain while just trying to do her job as a legislator. Get the fuck out of it. People say, this is a silly thing to waste your time on Vice. Let's focus on the now. Keep us informed about what is, not what if. We've got too much other shot shit to contend with right now. And frankly, it's exhausting. Hillary will win. We're 95% sure. Yeah, there you go. That fucking nails it. Then O'Rourke comes out, suggests using tax code to transfer wealth from the rich whites to African Americans. That's that's a policy right there. Luckily, he's tracking about 5% amongst Dem, but can you see where we're going in the, the primary for the Dems? It's just, what is the craziest shit I can say? Throw it on the wall. Does it stick? During this week, Trump decided to name Pete Buttleg after the guy on MAD. Well, the media went crazy. Everybody got all pissed off. I'm putting it in here because MAD's Twitter account Mad Magazine, historic comedy institution with Mayor Pete on the cover. They thought it was funny, so why can't you? Get a fucking goddamn sense of humor. C for PC, new Microsoft Word wants to speak, speech police your writing. This is in the UK. I couldn't remember if I covered it or not, but at the end of the day, the new word is going to be politically correct. S.E. Cup on a Pete Buttleg. I had it out of order. I suck. With this old fogey nickname for Pete Buttleg, Trump's campaign has officially conceded it can't win young voters. I wanted to cover that, and I fucked up and threw it in the middle of the goddamn freaking segment wrong. That's a de- that's a fucking Republican. She's a conservative on CNN. And it's TDS. It doesn't matter what Trump does. Everybody knows Trump makes stupid names up for people. Big fucking deal. But you spent time talking about that because you have TDS. Mad Magazine thought it was funny. Most of the country thought it was funny. But not you, the conservative on CNN. Journalism's dead. Another funny one, I'm going to put it in the hate because that's how much people hate stuff. Here's a viral anti-Biden parody site that outranking his real site on Google. And I shit you fucking not. Alright? It's true. Google Joe Biden's website. One of the first non-ad results you'll find is the link to Joe Biden Info, which is supposedly promoting Joe Biden for president. But when you go in there, it's pictures of all the things he's done to women and quotes like this. I mean, you got the first mainstream African-American who's articulate and bright and clean and nice-looking guy. 
He said that about Barack Obama. And it's there. They have proof. I mean, Joe Biden for president and Joe Biden info. It's a number two. Fucking sums it up. Yeah, it's perfect. Another hate was Ben Shapiro. Twitter made it a moment. It's always funny when liberals get owned. It's a Twitter moment that this conservative person treated people like shit. But he got owned in Britain. And I would not be a intellectually honest person not to play that this is probably not how you should respond to shit. Said that seemed to me to help to stoke that anger. For example, you said sure. Israelis like to build, Arabs like to bomb crap and live in open sewage. Well, as I say in an article entitled, here's a list of all the giant bad dumb things I've ever said. Was that, that was list that includes dumb? what Yes, that's a dumb tweet. And not only, but it is also important to mention that the next few tweets clarify that that tweet is specifically referring to the Hamas leadership, which, no. by the way, a BBC I've, I've seen is relatively reticent to condemn. No, actually, it wasn't what you went on to do and say, uh, you are correct about the slur and Arabs. It's not all Arabs that want to live in open sewage and blow things up. It's just Palestinians, you went on to say. No, it's a, no, it's, a, and, no, and it's then just you the said, ones who take sides and against then you Israel said the in the Israel-Palestinian population is rotten to the core, you went on to say. Not Hamas, I say by, the yeah, Palestinian-Arab population. I say that by poll numbers, they elected Hamas. They elected Hamas. They educate their children in school that Israel should be obliterated, sir. I guess... If you want to read... You know, honestly, this is a giant waste of time in the sense that the entire interview is designed for you to shout slogans or old things that I've said at me. I don't see how this forwards the debate. You talk about you talk about undermining the public discourse. It seems to me that simply going through and finding lone things that sound bad out of context and then hitting them with and then hitting people with them is a way for you to make a quick buck on BBC off the fact that I'm popular and no one has ever heard of you. Uh, there are not many bucks to be made on the BBC, unlike American broadcasting, Mr. Shapiro. Uh, I get, the point You're I'm trying paid, to make seems. is that your words are hardly designed to produce the consensus and understanding that the book seems to want to produce. Uh, that's my point, that you write about you know, Judeo-Christian culture and so on, but so much of what you've said in the past would seem to turn its back on Judeo-Christian culture. You're lecturing me on Judeo-Christian culture after you call the pro-life position barbaric? I, I just really? asked you a question. And I asked you a question. You failed to answer a single one of mine. Well, Frankly, I find this whole thing a waste of time. If you want to read the book and critique the book, why don't you read and critique the book? If you want to, re if you want to critique me, you can think whatever you want of me. Why don't you frankly, just try and I don't answer care. the I don't, I don't frankly give a damn what you you're, think of me since I've new, never heard of you. You And I've never heard of you until I briefed myself for this. But that's not the issue. You have a then new why the book hell are you interviewing and it's, me, an, it's an interesting book. But my point is, your book claims that society... Well, it would be society, nice if you would quote it from time to time. Your book is... Well, actually, I've done so several times, and I'm about to do so again, if you would let me just finish the question. Your book frankly, claims that this, society you know what, honestly, is turning honestly, its back on Judeo-Christian values. Yeah, this, what, are those values what, what, what are the values it's turning its back on? I... I you know, I, I'm not inclined to continue an interview with a person as badly motivated as you as an interviewer. So I think we're done here. I appreciate your time. All sir. right. Thank you well, so much. thank you for your time and uh, for showing that anger is not part of American political discourse. Now, Mr. Shapiro, we'll say goodbye. Apologies that we haven't got much time left. But, Paul, watching that, has something happened to the level of political debate? For the record, I couldn't debate anybody. I'm not a debater. But this guy is the queen, uh, the king of debater. He talks about debating everybody. 
And right and left in London, he already knows isn't the same thing. So this guy was a righty. It went bad. Twitter mocked it. I put it in the hate tweets. Not to bash on Shapiro. I'm not a hypocrite. I listen to him. It's just, you wouldn't do that for a damn. It wouldn't be a fucking Twitter moment. But that was pretty ugly. Tweets of the day. Ryan Savandra. Statement from James Wood on Twitter suspending him. Twitter demanded that I resend my tweet paraphrasing at Emerson. And now it seems they have chosen to delete the tweet from my account with any permission until free speech is allowed on Twitter. I will not be permitted to participate in our democracy with my voice. As long as Jack Dorsey remains the coward he seems to be, my Twitter days are in the past. And the tweet was innocuous. It is unbelievable. It just came down to we had too much voice. It's the same thing as Shapiro. We've covered on here your gateway drug to white supremacists. The establishment left, which is connected overseas and here, are out to crush them and shut their voices. That's not democracy. Dan Bondingo. This year in Dem policy proposals, voting rights for terrorists, infanticide, socialism, government-run health care, political spying, free college. That... That, that's pretty much it. And then our tweets of the day sound bites, a leftist getting owned and walking away. And I, this is real. I, I'm pretty sure this is fucking real. Instarator on Twitter. We're busting garbage disposal myths. They're a fucking company that makes it. And they literally, I'm not making it up. They're literally, oh, God, they came out with a fucking ad, and I thought that was pretty funny because here's, you know, AOC, the next president. Yeah. Vice, you need to stay on that. So going to do that, doing a music break, and we're going into our violent left. Not as violent as usual, but we have a couple good, good articles. all heard the stories about the scary blades in food waste disposers, right? Well, that's all they are. Stories. Fiction, really. Because the truth is, there are no blades in food waste disposers. There's actually this innovative design that safely grinds your food. Visit the link to find the truth about food waste disposers. Immigration is about keeping the others out, even though this country was founded on genocide. Look, look, did you know that America takes in half the world's immigrants every house, single year? Sir. You know America brings in half the world's immigrants every single year. America is the most tolerant, multiracial country in the world. They want to be inflammatory. Do not support our, our invasion. This toxic, 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 toxic thing. We take in half of the world's immigrants every single year. Half. This is exactly what I'm talking about, is that we have lost our ability to have a conversation in this country. You immediately get called something that you're not, you challenge it with facts and dialogue, and then they walk away. Thank you. 
Back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Morally. 15 shootings, 19 weeks of school. Last week it was Riley Howell in North Carolina, college kid running at a gunman in his classroom, sacrificing his life, saving countless others. This week, Kendrick Castillo and his pals in Colorado rushed another gunman in their high school classroom, again, likely saving many lives. Again, the sacrifice cost us a life. This time, this kid, Kendrick. Because of what he did, others are alive. And I thank God for that. I love him. And he's a hero. He always will be. But there's another part of you that wishes he would have just turned and ran, retreated, hid, you know, did something to put himself out of harm's way if that was possible. But we know Kendrick. Maria will tell you that it's no surprise that if danger was facing him, he would approach it, you know, and take it on. Imagine coming to a point where that's something that you know about your kids these days, that they've learned to attack the attacker. I will not be a victim, says one of Kendrick's pals who ran toward the danger. Someone entered the building with incredibly malicious intent. Uh, using their cowardice, surprise, and superior weapons, and they lost. They completely and utterly lost to good people. Why in the world would I let this coward uh, get what he wants? Like, why? I'm not a victim. We praise these kids rightly. They are so brave. Brendan Bailey, you just heard from. Lucas Albertoni. Jackson Gregory. Joshua Jones. Shot twice. Giving the thumbs up there. Sure, the gunmen, they didn't get as much death as they apparently wanted, but who wins in this? Why is this new reality okay? Kids determined not to be victims of gun violence. But of course, when a gunman enters a classroom, everywhere in there is victimized. It's just about how badly. They drill on what to do now, as you know. Run, hide, retaliate. This is now on the menu of risk awareness, like stranger danger tips, making sure to put a wallet in your front pocket. Practicing for the practical now includes how to deal with someone trying to shoot you. I cut that way, way down because it was the norm. Get the guns, get the guns, get the guns. There's two parts to this. 
first part, moms, the man action, decided to go and politicize this event. So I'm going to play that and the kids who walked the fuck out. It has become our unimaginable reality that gun violence is now so commonplace. It is our new reality that we allow families to live in neighborhoods where gunshots can be heard at all hours of the day and that our preschoolers are regularly participating in active shooter drills. And I'm also very disappointed to admit that all the generations before yours made this harder. We became paralyzed by the NRA. We did not hold our elected officials accountable as they were loosening the sensible gun regulations that were keeping us safe. Instead, we chose to burden our youth with the responsibility of saving their own lives. We forced all of you to learn in an environment that's more closely resembling a prison than a school. None of this is right. We robbed you of your innocence. Why would we do this to our own children? The very pathetic truth is that we took this route because it seemed easier than confronting the actual root cause of the gun violence issues. For this, I am truly and deeply sorry. We let you down, but it is never too late. People of my generation have to listen when you say enough. And it is our duty to stand up for your rights and your freedom to live free from the concern of everyday gun violence. In my life, this now looks like educating people on the facts of gun violence, promoting safe storage of firearms, advocating for gun sense legislation, holding my elected officials accountable, working hard to elect gun sense candidates like Jason, and of course, supporting and empowering survivors. That's all of us. What does meaningful action look like for you? Places I've seen young people find their voice and use their power have been registering voters, becoming well-informed voters, running for office, staging walkouts and demonstrations, writing op-eds, raising money, forming student-led advocacy groups, and using the power of social media to amplify your very critical messages that need to be heard. Student from the STEM school, Highland Ranch, stormed out of a vigil Wednesday night, put on by an organization affiliated with the anti-gun Brady campaign because the event was heavily politicized. Yes. 
Laura Reeves was a person who prompted pushback from students due to her heavily politicized politicization of the tragedy that claimed Castillo's life. Multiple people on social media also indicated that Reeves was a person who offended many at the vigil shortly after Reeves' politically charged comments. Student got up and stormed out of high school. Ryan Savandra, students at the vigil for STEM school, Highland Ranch, reportedly walked out of the event after Democrat politician Jason Crow and Michael Bennett made remarks and students said the tragedy was being politicized. One of the students spoke to Daily Wire, said that Reeves' comments were dystopian and not connected to reality, and that she angered the students the most of all of the speakers because she was trying to capitalize on their pain. It has become our unimagined reality that gun violence is now so commonplace as in our new reality that we allow families to live in neighborhoods where gunshots can be heard at all hours of the day, Reeves claimed without evidence. Blah, blah, blah. We already heard it. Moms Demand Action Lauren Reeves, heavily politicized Stem Heisland Ranch Vigil, blames NRA, demonizes pro-gun politicians, advocates working to elect Democrats, tells students to register voters, stage walkouts, raise money, and use social media to pro- promote gun control. Crow and Michael Bennett both politicized the child's calling for gun control laws, even though no gun laws would have prevented the shooting, as the firearms used were illegally obtained in either Democrat, neither Democrat, Call for protecting students at school. It is worth mentioning that both politicians did repeatedly remember the life of Castillo and did not take their politicization of the tragedy nearly to the extent of Reeves. Students walk out of vigil attacked by gun control activists. Only ABC reports it. Here's how CNN reported it. So, just days after a deadly school shooting in Colorado, one 2020 candidate is out with. An ambitious gun control plan. John Avalon breaks down Senator Cory Booker's proposal in our reality check. John. What can't be forgotten is that we haven't been able to summon the political will to stem the bleeding. And yes, this can be done consistent with the Second Amendment. Even the landmark Heller decision written by Justice Scalia recognized, quote, an important limitation on the right to keep and carry arms, like the historic tradition of prohibiting the carrying of dangerous and unusual weapons. So it's notable that the first big picture gun control proposal has been put forward by a 2020 candidate. Senator Cory Booker, former mayor of Newark, New Jersey, has laid down a sweeping plan that he says will help end the gun violence epidemic in America. At the heart of the proposal is a national program requiring people to get a license to buy and carry a gun, much like people are required to have a license to drive a car. Basically, a person would have to be fingerprinted, pass a universal background check, and complete a certified gun safety course before they take possession of a firearm. A license would need to be renewed every five years. A similar program has been put in place in countries like Australia and Canada. They've also been implemented in states like Connecticut, where studies show that guns killings fell 40 percent in the first decade after a permit to purchase law was implemented. Critics called Booker's plan dangerous, pointing out that it could lead to the creation of a federal gun owner database, long the subject of NRA fears and fundraising. Speaking of the NRA, Booker's also proposing to go after them, saying that as president, he'll ask the IRS to review the NRA's tax exempt status. Booker would close gun purchase loopholes and reinstate the assault weapons ban. He's also proposing requiring handguns to be manufactured with technology known as micro-stamping, which would make shell casings traceable to specific guns to help law enforcement. There are plenty of practical hurdles. Many of these proposals will require passage through the Senate, which is highly unlikely to have a Democratic filibuster-proof majority after the 2020 elections. There will also be court challenges and cultural barriers, as well as questions on how to deal with mental health. It's in some ways a politically risky plan. Red state Democrats often cringe at gun reform proposals. But it's bold and may help Booker stand out in a crowded field with a concrete proposal to help stem the tide of gun violence in our country, which is spilling not just into schools, but places of worship. 
places where even thoughts and prayers can't seem to help. And that's your reality check. John, I'm so glad you focused on that. We don't have to live this way. We don't have to send our children to school every day not knowing if they are sitting ducks for a school shooter. Now, more on how the media actually handled the walkout. But the most important thing beyond this is how they handled the shooters. You didn't hear white supremacists, even though they were white. You didn't hear anything about how we need to work on white people and the white terrorists and et cetera, et cetera. Colorado school suspect was transitioning to male. Second suspect said he hates Christians. Devon Erickson, 18-year-old high school student who has worked as a youth actor in Colorado, was then identified by authorities as one of the two shooters accused of wounding nine students in K-12 STEM school located in Douglas County. One of the students, 18-year-old Kendrick Castillo, died heroically in the attack. In court for the first time, May 8th, Erickson bowed his head, his purple hair dangling over his face. He facing more than two dozen blah, blah, blah. The second accused shooter has now been identified as Alec McHenry. Blah, blah, blah. But when you break it down, you get to their fucking websites, because that's just the media. On social media, Devon Erickson, a registered Democrat, expressed hatred for some Christians and shared posts criticizing Trump and praising Obama. You know what I hate? All these Christians who hate gays. Yet in the Bible, it says in Deuteronomy 17, 12, 13, if someone doesn't do what their priest tells them to do, they're supposed to die. It has plenty of crazy stuff like that, he wrote in one Facebook post a year ago. But all they got out of the ooh gays. In 2015, Erickson put a, put a celebrate pride filter on his Facebook picture. John Fenton. Car towed from stem shooting suspect's home apparently has fuck society spray painted on the side, also 666, and what looks like a pentagram on the hood. He had stuff from Seth Myers. Chris Meehan, student walked out of prayer vigil on Wednesday at Highland, which everyone assumed was being held to honor the victims, but it was a gun control. His second tweet, Breaking, Denver Summer reports the second suspect of stem shooting is a transgender who was in the midst of transitioning. Sources say the moral of the shooting went beyond bullying and involved revenge and anger towards other. This is from Denver 7. Multiple sources close to investigation told Denver 7 late Tuesday night that the second suspect is minor is a transgender male who was in the midst of transitioning. The source said that the motive of the alleged shooter went beyond bullying and involved revenge and anger towards others at the school and at least one of the suspects was involved in legal and illegal use of drugs. Another one, D.C. Sheriff. The Delft suspect is identified as Devon Erickson. will not be releasing any foes this time. Mr. Erickson has said on social media, according to reportandheavy.com, that he hated Christians for their teaching on homosexuality. His account suggested he was not a fan of Trump. ABC, NBC, nothing. Ryan Savandra, late last night, or the night before, five months before STEM school shooting, a district official urged the school to investigate serious allegations of violence, sexual assault, and campus bullying that an anonymous parent feared could lead to a repeat of Columbine. The networks just ignored this. The outright ignored his hate of the Christians. They ignored everything. I have a whole bunch of examples when that was what they went through. He was Tea Party. 
He liked Trump on Facebook. That was okay. But in this case, no. We're just going to go guns. So, to the reaction. Anti-gun group faces backlash for politizing vigil. Andrew Pollack. Uh, Kids Walk Twitter user Jeff Dozer says his son attends a STEM school, wrote on Twitter, My son attends STEM and was there yesterday. I took him to the vigil tonight in one of the Highland Ranch High School. It turned out to be a political anti-gun violence event with Colorado Senators Bennett Crow and Moms Demand Action. My son uh, was yesterday at Ranch. Let me see. Twitter user Lucy Sarkazian, who said she is a student at STEM. As a student, there were... There, we did not. We were there to mourn our classmates at school. They came up and started ranting about guns. KDVR reporter Ashley Michaels was at the event, tweeted, According to students and parents at HRHS, the vigil students stormed out in protest because the gun control advocates were trying to get STEM students to talk about gun control policies during the vigil instead of talking about the classmates. Hunter Pollock, or Sitter Meadow, was killed last year in Parkland. Democrats couldn't even wait until the bodies were buried to politicize the shooting, pushing their useless gun control agenda. Unlike Parkland, the STEM students refused to listen. They walked out chanting mental health. Kashchev, breaking. Students from STEM school walk out of vigil, turn gun control rally, refusing to have their trauma be politicized. This is disgusting for the left. Within one day, they're already pushing their agenda. Let the kids mourn and grieve. I'm seething. Habuka girl, I was there, was total anti-gun political rally run by adults and a free speech, a political speech from Jason Crow and Bennett. STEM students walked out in protest, then they came back and took the microphone from the activists. They were righteous and they were awesome. Twitter user Nick Cavuto, who says his brother was at the event, confirmed that other students had said about Reeves' heavily politicized event. Cavuto tweeted, 100% 100% true, my brother was there, one, the students walked, wanted to talk, and two, mourned together about the friends they lost, not listen to politicians and their agenda. 520, 5280 magazine writer Robert Sanchez tweeted, it's going to be interesting to see what happens now after the STEM walkout at HRHS Vigil. Remember, this is a charter school, not a traditional public school. I know people who kids attend there. From my conversations with them, they are not anti-gun control advocates. Kevin Booty. They demand that they all be allowed to speak. An adult said to the crowd, you will not speak to the media. This is not who we are. Then they stormed out, yelling that they'd been made into political pawns. Trevor Hughes. I think a lot of confusion comes with the fact that many attendees didn't realize this was specially organized by gun control advocates. Most thought it was a journal, a, a, a vigil, excuse me. The Brady has apologized. Brady has always been and always will be a supporter of individuals and communities, blah, blah, blah. We're sorry this got out of control, but we can't control our people. We just can't control our people. We just can't. So I can show you a million examples. I'm just going to show you two. Time Magazine. We are people, not a statement. Students walk out of vigil for Colorado shooting victims. But the New York Times, the latest shooting vigil disrupted by upset students. That's literally what they said. That is the gray lady. That is supposed to be the epitome of journalism. Did we report, like, do some investigation on what the event was? Mr. T2, the media shouldn't wonder why Americans despise them. 
Politicians set up a bogus vigil for student survivors and victims of school shooting. It was really just a Democrat political rally for gun control. The students called them out for it. Normal people could not imagine the way that the left twists events and contrives for opportunity to advance their agenda. This week is a real lesson in that, and I'm sure there's even more to be revealed. The event is open to the press and coverage is invited. It was never a vigil. But right out of the gate, same old stuff. Just a big old nightly fuck you, and I hope you never sleep a peaceful night in your life, Dana Loesch and NRA, and your disgusting death cult on behalf of all kids who've left this earth too soon. It's fine, her fame won't last forever, and with the way the NRA is headed, they certainly won't either, but the ghost of dead children will hopefully haunt her until she dies. Excuse the dog. There's a lawnmower out there, he doesn't like it. But there's hundreds. They just lose it. Amazingly, there was a few good ones. Mrs. Pinky thought, wow, you used dead kids to wish death on her. Real brave. And hundreds of other people like me attacking these people. Like, not attacking, but saying, what the fuck is wrong with you? But it's it's what they do to make matters worse. From a vigil to a political rally that was staged... To not reporting the, the backgrounds of these kids, which would be totally appropriate if they were white supremacists or they like Trump on Twitter. Father of Colorado shooter is an illegal alien and a repeat felon. Two domestic assaults. He shouldn't be in the country, neither should the kid. So while the left scrambles... To make it about gun and gun laws and stupid white people. Guy shouldn't even been here. He's a kid of an illegal alien. Who probably got dacked by Obama. Hates Christians and heteros and goes after him. Yeah, that's fucking fantastic. So there's number one, the next... You know we have it. We always do. Anti-Semitism. Good morning, and yes, I actually have some breaking news for you this morning, just confirming with uh, some government officials that there has actually been a death threat on the life of Navy SEAL Chief Eddie Gallagher. This threat apparently came into our government. Uh, I don't have a time frame on it. Again, I'm just getting this information in, and I have it confirmed that, yes, uh, they've gotten this death threat into the U.S. government, and it was written in Arabic. So uh, that's why we're being very careful with as far as where we're uh, determining our... So that's number one. Number two, Hanadia Abdin called for the terrorist organization Hamas to torture and capture Israeli soldiers and film it so we can watch. She's also spread anti-Semitism and demonized Israel on Twitter in 2015. Abaddon is affiliated with the Islamic Circle of North America and an offshoot of American Muslims of Palestine, or AMP. On August 21st, Abaddon indicated in a curious cat that she was studying medical sonogram and that she was starting university. On January 18, 2017, Abaddon indicated on Twitter that she was a student in Houston, Texas, and was still a student in Houston. Supporting Hamas and terrorists, tweet, an Israeli soldier was captured by Hamas, Takabir, Majabar to Insulah. They torture him slowly and post it on YouTube so we can watch. On July 12, 2014, God bless Hamas, I don't care what you say, at least someone's taking action and helping the Palestinians. 
Israeli Hezbollah breaking update. Lebanon media confirmed two missiles fire in Israel. Wa Insla, Allah willing, more to come. Anti-Semitism. Oh, I made it up on a canary mission. Shit made by Jews. On October 15th, Allah Yinyath 3 in Al-Anyahu. I, I don't know what that means. Because it's in Arabic. Another one on August 23rd. Hayoya uh, Jew, those so I can get cursed. Y'all left no hate for the kafir. January, okay, what's the point? This goes on for five pages. Five pages. She's a verified person on Twitter. A student came over here during the Obama administration. That's just a typical Islamist. Just lives in America. This dates back to 2011. Farrakhan slams satanic Jews after Facebook ban. Media ignores. David Hickend just received a report that Hasidic father and son were beaten up in Williamsburg this past Friday night for no other reason than being Jewish. Police reports have been filed. There's a footage of four violent suspects behind the attack. Find them. It's shocking but not surprising that such violent hate crimes are being committed against Jews in Brooklyn just as anti-Semitism is being mainstream. This attack resembles Nazi Germany where anti-Semites attack Jews with glee. E. Becca, this lady was just attacked a few Jewish women at the park after threatening to fuck up all them Jews. She came over, looked straight at me, and I ran out of the way, and she went on to attack other Jewish women. This is her leaving. I was talking to 911. If the uh, person was an, uh, a Muslim and it was a Jewish person, would that make your radio, TV? How about this? Media ignore Valerie Plame's blatant anti-Semitism while covering her run for Congress. Congress. Yeah. Statements like, many neocon hawks are Jewish. American Jews are driving America's wars. Shouldn't they accuse them, recruit themselves when dealing with the Middle East? Do we remember Mount Valerie Plame, right? The supposed CIA agent that was outed. People actually went to jail, unlike the Obama administration. Oh, Tony, you're, you're just a, you're an Islamophobe. I don't think it's me that we have a problem with Islamist folks. U.S. revokes citizenship of Portland Mosque Iman Amaramana Kayara. That's Portland. New York Times defends storied and influential Muslim Brotherhood from terror links. A whole story. As a political, as a legitimate political entity in many Muslim majority governments, it is President's latest major foreign policy decision that appears to have been heavily influenced by autocratic leaders without first being fully vetted by career American officials. Uh, against a storied and influential Islamist 
political movement with millions of members across the Middle East. Although some offshoots of former members have engaged in terrorism and the push for sanctions on the Brotherhood is the latest of several significant foreign policy decisions by Mr. Trump that appear to have been heavily influenced. Yeah. Muslim Brotherhood. Linked to terrorists. Under a Democrat. CNN this week. A Ramadan etiquette guide for non-Muslims. I tweeted, will I ever see one for Christmas? How about uh, more of those great articles, don't wish me Merry Christmas because Christians are bad. That's what I'll get from CNN. Seattle School District forced teachers to bless Muslim students in Arabic during Ramadan. Right off of what I just said. Even the common phrase Merry Christmas has been under attack and was replaced by Happy Holidays. Schools don't have a Christmas break, they have a winter break. The onslaught of secularism has been so merciless that even Huffington Post reported on it. A kindergarten teacher in Texas public school was informed that they could not mention the word Christmas or tell the historical nativity story because someone in the district might sue. All other secular customs of winter holiday were deemed to be okay, just not the religious symbols of Christianity. According to the school principal, we cannot tie candy canes, trees, weights. Remember that? We, we covered it. We, we, we can't do anything. We, we went through this. But in Seattle, they must. The teachers must give the blessing in Arabic. As reported by Fox News, a religious liberty advocacy group is threatening to slap Seattle area school district with a lawsuit claiming the district has urged teachers to bless Muslim students in Arabic during the holy month of Ramadan and give them preferential treatment, including skipping tests. The Freedom of Conscience Defense Fund claims the Derringer School District is officially endorsing Islam and it's following a script by the Council of American Islamic Relations that urges schools to make special accommodation for Muslim students and to wish them Ramadan Mubarak, Happy Ramadan, Ramadan Karim, have a generous Ramadan, yada, yada, yada. But it wasn't just good enough because this article breaks down. You must do it in Arabic. So the teachers had to learn Arabic. Then in London, major British university warns Jewish students not to celebrate Israel Independence Day because if you do it, you might fucking get dead. Yeah. Yeah. And here's another another example. Israel still controls Gaza's borders, seawaters, airspace, and population registry. Israel still blockades Gaza. Israel still occupies Gaza. According to the UN, Israel still kills unarmed Palestinian protesters, including children, with impunity. Facts, not Hamas talking points. That is Mahida Hassan. I'm not going to read any more. I have multiple things. This is who is retweeted by Talib every day. And then the capper, before we go into a soundbite. FBI uncovers homegrown terror training camp in Alabama. They weren't white white supremacists. I'm just saying. And then even worse, a Muslim cleric who called for violence against Israel and expressed support for Hamas gave the opening prayer before the House of Representatives Thursday angering some representatives. Omar Suleiman, who you've heard before, if you pay attention, an imam and president of Yakin Institute delivered the invocation invitation of his congresswoman, Deborah, Democrat Representative Eddie Bernice Johnson of Texas. 
according to the Jewish Telegraph thing. To Jewish Telegraph Agency, not thing. Representative New York Representative Lee Zeldin, who is Jewish, decried the invitation in light of the fact that Suleiman has repeatedly called for third intifada against Israel, referring to Jews as Zionists and called them enemies of God. We got a problem. And that problem gets magnified when the media become the attack dogs. And I just wonder, because I do think it's, it's fairly dangerous, and, and you brought it up after Congresswoman uh, 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 Omar had also had some death threats against her. Do you think, you know, she's obviously uh, now stated she needs to be more careful with her language. Don't you think other people who talk about her need to be a little bit more thoughtful as well? Or do you stand by those comments of tying her to this, her rhetoric to the synagogue shooting? I don't think I tied her to it in particular. I think that... I'm calling out what I see as anti-Semitic language, and when you're talking about, but even um, after hypnotic... you called it out after she apologized for it, I do want to establish um, the timeline. I, I don't. I think that Democrats are are hedging on this, and I think it's very dangerous. And I think Chuck Schumer and I are in alignment about Israel's stance in in geopolitical politics. I think it's of the utmost importance, and I think she is bringing her party to the extreme extremism on this. And I think we have to look to Europe and what's happening over there and that they're, you know, in, in the British politics, anti-Semitism is very common. And I see it happening over there and I worry about it happening over here. I stand by every single thing I've said. And if that makes me unpopular in this room or in front of you, so be it. Um, well, I don't. See, that's a weird thing when you take the position of trying to be unpopular. Here I am trying to, you know, find the common ground on this because I do think one of the, I think we could both so agree. Were you bothered by her language about 9-11? Um, I thought it was taken out of context, and I think if you watch that whole Would you speech, give President Trump the same same leverage uh, if he had said the same thing? Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing when we have two Muslim women for the first time. They do have a different perspective on things, and I think when we talk about the idea of, like, let's all try to meet in the middle on things, we have to listen to other people's perspective. And Oh, I agree. I work on The View with Joy yeah, Behar yeah, every yeah. day. Yeah. I, I just think you can't talk about uh, Jews hypnotizing the world, talking about all about the you Benjamins. You keep bringing up the two tweets that she's apologized for, and I think that's a little unfair to her, especially because we've <laughs> Are established... Are you a publicist? What? Are you her press person? Yeah. Defending Omar. It's what they do. It's just... I'm telling you, prom, it's going to be problems, yo. Problems! Moving on, L.A. Ryder wrote a mega hat, wore a mega hat, ultra-liberal vegan restaurant. Here's what happened. It's a case study in American political tribalism in the age of President Trump. A Los Angeles writer wore a mega hat to an ultra-liberal vegan restaurant in the city to see what sort of adventures would unfold. Quite shockingly, people actually proved his theses wrong. The article by Joel Stein in Los Angeles Magazine confronts the fact that Americans hate each other in the age of President Trump, a fever he himself admits to having been inflicted with at times. More than 42% of people in each party think those in the other party are downright evil. 20% of Democrats and 16% of Republicans think we'd better off if members of the other party just died, Stein writes. The anger is so ubiquitous that even I've been inflicted. I saw an elderly man walking towards me on Funeral Trail in Griffin Park wearing a red hat, and I hate staring him until he got close enough that I could see it was a USC logo. Jesus Christ. It's you, dude. I avoid talking to a nice dad in my son's old school because he was a ru- was rumored to be a Trump voter. Stein has been researching political tribalism for his upcoming book, oddly titled, In Defense of Elitism. 
He admits that his research has led him to see some Trump supporters in a different light, such as when he visited Miami, Texas, only to find out that the people there were so nice that they fed me in their homes and paid the server before a check arrived. I worry that my site isn't as friendly, Stein admits. We've harassed politicians out of restaurants, chanted threats against Fox News anchor home, and gone off on me for asking other parents if putting on a play about Native American, despite the fact that there are no Native Americans in our school, is really that evil. In light of all this, Stein devised a little social experiment wherein the iconic mega hat to an ultra-liberal cafe gratitude of Larmont, which he describes as a vegan hipster restaurant. It's a restaurant so liberal that when establishment sold a Make America Great Grateful hat, customers complained that it looked it took President Trump's evil too lightly. I don't want to give $25 to Trump re-election campaign, so I bought a knockoff hat made in China for 8 bucks. Stein writes, The hate is so strong in me that I thought it was more ethical to support the Chinese government than Trump, Stein admits. See, these are these people, folks. This, this, is, this is what they are. Stein admits to being terrified upon his journey to the restaurant, fearing the absolute worst could happen, recalling the incident on Dodger Stadium, where a guy ended up in a nine-month coma for wearing a San Francisco Giant hat. When he arrived at the cafe, however, his expectations were surprisingly disproven. In fact, Stein learned some interesting insight about people on his own side. They don't hate Trump or his supporters nearly as much as they profess. Glance around the room and no one gave me a dirty look, Stein wrote. No one walked up and yelled at me about Charlottesville or Cage Kids, the guy with with the ear twig, pulled out a newspaper called SJW, which I figured was a publication for Social Justice Warrior, until I realized it was the Wall Street Journal. Before I left, I asked the black waiter, Derek Thompson, how he felt about my hat, Stein continued. I don't care at all, really, at all. I look at a hat, and it doesn't tell me who the person is. I'm not against Trump. He says some smart things. He says some dumb things. Throughout Stein's whole time at the restaurant, only one person, a patron, openly expressed disapproval of his mega hat. Is that guy wearing a fucking mega hat? The patron asks the counter. Stein's article ends on a quasi-confused note, illustrating how his experience throughout his research has stifled his narrative so much that he strives to keep his beliefs about Trump intact. He recalls a moment when his friend saw a man with a swastika tattoo on his neck frolicking through the park in some kind of Instagram photo shoot, expressing frustration that nobody confronted him. The far right has become so normalized that no one said anything to a guy in a mega hat at Cafe Gratitude, Stein concludes. I am not sure how great that is. So when you can't get what you want, you make it about white supremacy. This is an object lesson in who we are dealing with. That small percentage of the American public who are so tribal, they don't get it. They just don't get what America's about. This guy admits he hates on fellow Americans because of politics. And when you really scratch it and break it down, sadly, in the beginning of my show, I used to have a resistor on here. One day she got pissed off because I shared a meme about telling kids to undo their fly and see what they have down there, and they'll know what sex they are. And she said she couldn't be friends with the person that would make fun of the hard time kids have with gender dysphoria and blocked me on Facebook. Over this time period, they have become Danny in Game of Thrones. They're isolated. 
Their hate keeps growing, the paranoia keeps growing, and they start reading all this fucking crazy shit on the internet, and they start to believe that us evil people that made a choice on November 8, 2016, are everything Trump is, but worse. I thought it was a great article. It just shows who they are. And Twitter's with them. Twitter suspends account that tracks violence against mega supporters. Conservative news host account tracking violence against Trump supporters was deplatformed. One American Network News host Jack Probasek's Twitter account, Megaphobia, was taken down from Twitter May 6th. Probasek said he started his account to track violence against Trump supporters all in one place. He tweeted, today Twitter banned it. Probasek defined megaphobia as either a rational and founded fear of Donald Trump or supporters, such as a conspiracy theory, but they are Russian agents or white supremacists. Big League Politics claimed in its coverage that anti-Trump violence appears to be on the rise around the country. The site lists a few prominent figures such as Brandon Straka, Michael Knowles, Owen Shoyer, who were all poorly attacked in a single day. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey has become a household name because he's deplatforming everybody. Didn't get a reason, they just got rid of it. Just just got rid of it. It was there. So we can't have that. We must get rid of it. So we're going to move on to abortion really quick. This month alone, the following things have been said on TV. Veep. Unloads on pro-life cunts. Oh, you want me to think about the children, you hog-fingering fucker? So you can back the fuck off, you hypocritical cunts, before I show up to the piss puddle that is your house and protest your husband's whacking it to your daughter's 7th grade yearbook. Amazon Prime Series, boards, Mike Pence hates trains. Behar, Trump is a culprit behind Cynagon shooting. De Niro and Sam B, we covered it. Yeah. So, finally, somebody confronted them, and that being Brian Sims, who messed with old women. You kept your motherfucking mouth closed when it came to black people being discriminated against in the neighborhood. And I'm asking you... I'm asking you why, 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 get that. I'm asking you, Brian. No, let's stop here. Why did you keep your mouth closed? No, I want to have a conversation with the people. Everybody's remote behind my. Get him. That's pretty fucking good. Because it's true. Who cares about the black people? Majority of abortions are black people. Because Planned Parenthood preys on black people. If we were a real society with real journalism, people would know that. Carly Horlman shows, here's what peaceful pro-life action looks like. This is happening, America. Pro-life Philly rally against bullying. We were saying to the pro-life activists that they are not alone and that we are with them, he said. This is, uh, who came out to do this? Matt Walsh. We can't just be pro-life in our minds. We have to live the truth and bring the truth out in the real world. Then Walsh took on Sims directly. We're sending a message to bullies like Brian Sims. We'll not be intimidated. We'll not be silenced. If you try to shut us up, we're going to get louder. Try to shame us. We're going to stand taller. It's a big event. Fantastic. It was live streamed. And to finish on the 
Matt Walsh and or uh, the Brian Sims bullshit. This is one of his tweets during his campaign. I'm against bullying. Spirit Day. That's actually a picture he made. So it's clearly obvious he doesn't get it. But while all this is going on, media example, not playing sound bites because we're getting short on time. Matt Dowd, some advice to the anti-abortion pro-life crowd. You might be taken more seriously on your life stance if you would support increased funding for health care, a living wage, common sense gun reform, and aiding refugees. See, if you are progressive and you're pro-life, then we'd buy your bullshit. Oh, okay, Matt. Ocasio-Cortez gets blowback for disturbing abortion tweet. Six weeks pregnant equals two weeks late on your period. Most of the men writing these bills don't know the first thing about a woman's body outside of the things they want from it. It's relatively common for a woman to have a late period and not be pregnant. So this is a backdoor ban. CBS, Georgia bill. People are losing it. Leela Rose at the Baby Center explains a baby amazing development at six weeks. The nose, mouth, and ears that you'll spend so much time kissing in eight months are beginning to take shape. His heart is beating about 100 to 160 times a minute, and blood is beginning to course through his body. Emily Zanotti, are people just unaware of the changes happening in your body in the first two to four weeks of pregnancy? I might be more experienced with this given my fertility treatments history. There's a whole horizontal shift that's happening. It's not just some random zygotes floating around down there. Ben Shapiro, labeling science as mansplaining is pretty demeaning towards women. I mean, Zanotti, a miscarriage of six weeks pregnant for past misperiod is pretty damn horrifying and mostly scarring. It ain't just a late and extremely heavy menstrual cycle. Because it was just going around that you don't know what you're talking about, but da-da-da-da-da. More proof. Development of lungs, jaw, nose, palate have begun. The hand and feet buds are webbing-like structures. They'll become the fingers and toes. The brain is continuing to form its complex part. A vaginal ultrasound may be able to detect an audible heartbeat at this time. Liz Wheeler, this is two weeks late on your period. Two weeks late has arms and legs forming, fingers and toes and heartbeat. Here are the five main sponsors of the bill. So here are the two men you're slandering, as most of the men writing these bills don't know the first thing about women's body outside of them. And the other three are women, pointed out. Conservative columnist Gerald Breyer. Look, AOC, here are the five main sponsors of the bill. Most of the men, blah, 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 blah. Women! Ali Stuckey. And many of the women supporting these bills have actually been pregnant. And alone, not more about pregnancy than you do, AOC. So this became its own life and started going crazy. Lauren Duca. Hey, all men, we need you to show up for this fight. Which was just insane. Chels. Wait, I thought men didn't get an opinion on abortion. Duca's attitude towards men prior to entreaty on Thursday displayed a hostility when extreme. As Daily Wire reported in August 2017, in an openly bigoted and super edgy attack on Christians, teen Vogue writer and abortion enthusiast Lauren Duca warned evangelical that she will bite some dicks off. I just want the evangelicals to know if you guys figure out how to do the Handmaid's Tale in real life, I'm fully prepared to bite some dicks off. And there's a whole bunch of other examples. I'm not going to read them because we already know. <laughs> Man. Sergio Slano. A woke little beta. 
If you're a woman and you vote Republican, you're either ignorant or self-loathing. Sorry, there's no way to explain it. Every day these motherfuckers are actively trying to take away your rights. Republicans clearly hate women. It's not up for debate. Pam Keith, stop, and it's got all the stupid hand smacks. Having sex with conservative men, total, complete sex boycott. Don't let them anywhere near you. Give them a hand and keep it moving. Get a B.O.B., but make it a rule to run, not walk, from men who want to steal your agency over yourself and your life. That's it! Who talks like that? Seriously. But she was black. So she's got extra tick marks on the intersectional checklist that we talked about it about six months ago. And Alyssa Milano came out to fight the pro-life push. This is hers. Our reproductive rights are being erased until women have legal control over our own bodies. We just cannot risk pregnancy. Join me by not having sex until we get body autonomy back. I'm calling for a sex strike. And it was all over Twitter. Big rep, pink X, sex strike. If our choices are denied, so are yours. A lot of people did the funny on this. This is what conservatives have been saying all along. Women have a choice. Don't want to be pregnant. They shouldn't have sex. Not sure this is you thought this through, but the pro-life crowd supports your call for abstinence, which is pretty funny when you think about it, because it's true. The Krasistein brothers, watching all the Republicans, Republicans, because remember, if you are pro-life, you have to be a Republican. If you're a Christian, you have to be a Republican. Because these are tribal people. They can't see past the nose on their face to know that there are pro-life Dems. Or independent, liberal independents. Just like I'm a conservative independent. But they, they don't see it that way. You have to be in a camp. So he says all these Republicans attack Alyssa Milano's sex strike shows us clearly that they aren't really pro-life after all, but instead essentially pro-rape. Anyone criticizing the sex strike is openly saying they don't believe women have a choice to have sex. Holy fuck, are the replies. You are too stupid for words. Absolutely nobody is saying that. You ass-kissing dolt. And once again, sorry for the dogs. I don't know what's going on. Mom had four days off and they were, I guess, I don't know. I am so sorry. This podcast has got dogs barking, birds chirping. Jesus. Do you see why sometimes I don't want animals? For my family members listening? Good Lord. Jessica Valentine. This about covers it. Feminist next door. Please stop feeding the narrative that women are providers and men are consumers of sex. Bribing men for equal rights with access to our bodies is not how feminism works. The idea of a sex strike, where sex is something men seek and women withhold, is the same regressive model of sexuality that Republican men use to legislate. No thanks, and the tide turns. Once again, she's a white girl. White girls can't do this. Also, a big part of the reason GOP men want to ban abortion is because they hate the idea of women having non-married, non-procreative sex. If anything, we should be doing more fucking. I'll stop soon, I promise. This just set me off. Once again, who says that? Republican men want to fuck too. That's why we use birth control, you dipshit. I am pro-life. 
I got a vasectomy at 23. There was not patches. There was not fucking the uh, fucking shots, depot shots. None of that shit had been invented. Wife had tried four different pills. It didn't work. I got a vasectomy because I wanted to have sex. So we're the, I'm pretty conservative on the subject, you fucking moron. And it just goes crazy. Kate Kelly, join us in helping cis men feel the physical consequences of their reproductive rights being systematically eliminated. Sex strike. Luckily, this means you can still have sex with women. Sex strikes have a long, long history of being effective, too. They go back to 1600. Katie Coulter, living under patriarchy, has already robbed me of safety, autonomy, opportunity, and trust in our institution. Now I'm supposed to give up sex, too, and play into fiction? That is just a bargaining chip for women. You see, that they don't know where they want to go on this. They're so fucking confused. Cool. Be extremely careful. If you get pregnant and miscarrying and they can't prove you didn't miscarry on your purpose, you could get thrown in jail for a long time in Georgia. That's Alyssa Milano. They'll throw you in jail for a miscarry, which is nowhere, anywhere in the law. She's just making things up. The morning spoo. This is an act. No one is this stupid. I've been laughing about five minutes straight this morning, reading all your craziness. This is awesome. Thank you. Rachel, so you're saying that according to this bill of a woman miscarriage, she could be thrown in jail? This is so dumb, even for you. The state would have to prove you didn't miscarry, not you providing you miscarried. Plus, I doubt that they've even written into the law. Shame on you both for trying to scare women. Then even Rachel would. From Westworld, which I like, and I'm looking forward to coming back sometime in 2020, for Christ's sake. All these HBO shows take like two-year breaks. Mandatory vasectomies until you want to have children. Then can be re- they can be reversed. So come on, guys. Let's save lives. What's that? Oh, a hard no. Why? Because it's your body and we don't get to make the choice for you. Ooh. This is how far it evolved. My reply to her. If you pay for it, fine. But since we're in a free society, abortion is legal. A sperm is not a baby. This is a fucking stupid premise. Great actress, actress, hateful politics. You make me question why I watch Westworld. Then Mason, Madison Seclair, another feminist. Do you think more Republicans would be cool with abortions if we started performing them with little tiny guns? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a fucking, oh, Jesus, Jay Christ. So here's a woman literally explaining the sex strike, and it sums up what I just read to you. They don't fucking know. Intersectionality for white people or liberals, it just breaks them down like fucking Daffy Duck. Okay, babe, we're going on a sex strike because, okay, we're going on a sex strike because if we don't go on a sex strike, then you won't learn your lesson. If we go on a sex strike, then you're going to be like, I'm horny and mad. And then you're going to finally read about abortion laws in Georgia. If I'm getting any sort of physical pleasure, it just means that women are losing 
you know what I mean? What happens with queer women? That's not really what we're talking about. Well, what does this mean about rape victims? Yeah, that's not really what we're talking about. You're gonna get so horny that you explode and basically run to Georgia and change all the laws. Do you know what I mean? And that's just as important to me. Now I know I like having sex, but the idea is that you don't get sex and what I want doesn't matter. Does that make sense? Babe, slow down. I'm explaining it and I'm doing a pretty damn good job if you ask me. I'm doing it for Alyssa Milano. And I think within their confusion, because they don't know what to do, because of all the raw, the laws that they make up, here's a pro-life woman being attacked again. Oh no, we're gonna get a downpour soon. It's gonna come down in buckets. Yes. Yeah. Damn, Ma'am, please stay on site. You assaulted him. It's you can't actually leave, sir. Hi, um, I'm Sam. We're gonna be out with color. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Um, so this young lady here, um, my friend Austin over there, she came up and she said, "Are these signs you?" And then he said yes, and then she just started punching him in the face um, three or four times, uh, and then in the stomach. Do we know what's gonna happen today? Will she be arrested or? That's what. Um, so he's not suggesting. Um, what we're going to do, since it is a misdemeanor, um, instead of putting her handcuffs, dragging her off, all that stuff, we're going to we're going to cite her, which is the same thing as an arrest. It's an arrest by citation, mm -hmm. um, which means she'll still have to go to court. She'll still have to do all that. She's still being charged with the crime. Okay, she's just not being put in hand. Just so you know mm -hmm. that we're not putting her in handcuffs, but she is getting charged with the crime. Mm -hmm. um, but it will be a misdemeanor assault charge um, for what she did. Okay, so okay, good with that. Everybody yeah. Yep, they're just freaking violent. Our last one in the violent left is a no-shitter story. It comes to you from Australia. Parents who fed infant vegan diet arrested after police discover child malnourished suffering from rickets. And we're not, like, we're talking from the moment they got off the tit. They fed them vegetables and the kid is underdeveloped um once they took him away from the parents the kid put on 13 pounds that's when your ideology and your politics and your persuasion makes you incredibly stupid so we're reversing it but i still want to do the lighter fare at the end so i Want to do a couple articles, a couple sound bites. We'll do our This Is America and then Got. And I know this is a long podcast, but there's a lot of shit to put out. Uh, NASCAR, which will go with our lighter fare soundbite, which is uh, Last Man Standing, his ending about millennials. They came out with a millennial-inspired car, and it's got Turt, Yeet, YOLO, and all this stupid shit on it. If they're trying to poke fun at millennials, then mission accomplished is what a lot of people said. 
Star Wars porn has the search for Star Wars porn has skyrocketed on May fourth. Star Wars, Kylo Ren, Princess Leia, um, Ray, because you know men and women are searching, went up seven hundred and forty eight percent on May the fourth, and that just makes me go, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" Uh, disturbing thing that happened, and I saw it because I guess I followed her and I don't remember, but Constant Woo, and we're going to go into a quick summary of all the good shows that got canceled and they kept the shitty ones. When Fresh Off the Boat, and for those that don't know uh, that show, I used to watch it, I loved it, and then all of a sudden in season three they made the daughter LGBT when she was like a slut up until that point. And they started shoving all this SJW shit in it, and I just quit watching it. I loved it up to that point. It was like an oriental version of the Goldbergs. Really cute, from the 90s. Well, they got renewed, and this was her tweet. So upset right now that I'm literally crying. Somebody else. Congrats on your renewal. Great news. And she said, no, it's not. And then she tried to put out some statement and to surmise it, she pretty much just says that I was working on another project and it's nothing against them, but I was looking forward to that project. And then the project got, I can't do it now because of the show. And these are my words and my truth and tried to spin off. But it was probably at the behest of her handlers who were saying, what the fuck is wrong with you? Well, aren't you glad all these other people that have jobs are going to keep their job? I guess she's not because she wanted to do something else. If I was in charge of that series, I'd fire her fucking ass. Which brings us to our renewed series. I'll just do the canceled and ending. On NBC, I feel bad, Marlin, Midnight, Texas, Reverie, and Trial and Error. A waiting decision. This is us. It's been renewed because it's super, super social justice. The Enemy Within, which I tried to watch from the lady with Dexter. yeah, And AP Bio is still in the bubble, and I'm really hoping... Uh, God, I hope they do that. If you haven't watched AP Bio, it's really, really funny. On CBS, they ended the Big Bang Theory because it was finished. Elementary, never watched it. Fam, never watched it. Happy Together, I won't go back into my bitch about it. It was really funny. Super funny. I don't know why I took it off. Waiting the Code and Ransom, which <clears throat> the code I kind of like, so I don't know. ABC, and this really pissed me off. They canceled the For the People, Don't Care, The Fix. The Kids Are All Right was a super, super funny show. And they canceled um, one other one. What was the other one they, they canceled? Oh, it's on Fox. Never mind. So but them canceling that really pissed me off. All this SJW shit, of course, they renew, including the Connors on one of these networks actually got renewed. Nobody was watching the Connors, but they're bringing it back because they want to push the fucking envelope and fuck Roseanne, I guess. Then over on Fox, they canceled the Cool Kids, which really pissed me off. They canceled the Gifted, Gotham, Lethal Weapon, The Passage, Rail, and Star. All got canceled. Proven Innocent still on the bubble, but it needs to be canceled. It's a horrible fucking show. I tried watching it. But the Cool Kids was super funny. And I follow, um, what's his name? 
uh, damn it, Greer. He is so fucking funny. That show was hilarious. It did have an LGBT character in it. I'm really surprised they canceled it. I really am. Um, that kind of pissed me off, but that's a quicker version than I used to do. Those have been the podcasts. I used to always cover this, um, and go through the what's staying, what's dying. Uh, sadly, a couple of my shows got canceled and they were going to cancel seals. I think seals got saved, uh, seal team because of that episode that I covered in the beginning of this podcast. Um, I think that was the reason why it got saved. Um, it was it was a fucking great episode. We got a couple funnies. Um, I was going to play Funny or Die. I fart in your general direction. It was a Game of Thrones spoof. But because of time, I'm just going to do, like I said, this is a great little um, speech about millennials that was on Last Man Standing. Um, arguably a great conservative show. It hasn't been that good this year, but it's renewed, and I'll stick with it because I really like Tim Allen. Um, but this is... A pretty good summation. You know, nature, we kick our kids out. We don't do that in human, and I don't know why we don't. Hey, Mike Baxter for Outdoor Man, reminding you that the outdoors has much to teach us. For example, you know one thing you'll never see in nature? A millennial still living at home. (laughs) You know why? It isn't good for them. Buy your own damn milk. You see, it really doesn't matter if the teat is attached to your mom, an almond, or the government. If you suckle at it for too long, you won't know how to be a grown-up in the real world. Of course, in nature, the parents don't mess around. (laughs) Birds will just launch the kid out of the nest. They don't even check to see if the dude can fly. They're like, well, you got a couple seconds to figure it out, otherwise you're going to get eaten down there. With people, it's a little trickier. Especially the the people your very loving wife gave birth to. If you're really lucky, your grown-up kid who lives at home will get married, and you get to take in a stray. It's like birth one, get one free. You ever see those videos where the goat folds in with the family dogs until he thinks he's a dog? Well, we had a goat. He thought he was one of us. Thought he was one of us. And I hope that he knows that he is and always will be. Baxter up. Which brings us to our This is America. Texas A&M event blames Christianity for anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. A late April roundtable event at Texas A&M University cited the phrase, wear your Sunday best, as well as Christian traditions as causes of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia in America called anti-Semitism and other forms of prejudice and discrimination. The roundtable discussion occurred a few days after the the California synagogue shooting. And basically this person named Cax decided to blame everything on the sheets they handed out. They're talking about Charlottesville. They're talking about everything but the violence that we have right now in our country from the left. And this soundbite Piss me the fuck off. First and foremost, it's not a good recording because somebody sneakily recorded it, or not sneakily, but whatever. You know what I mean. Um, but it this just sums up the left. They they don't deal in facts. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. 
Look what I'm whipping up. This is America. Don't catch you slipping up. Don't catch you slipping up. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing the fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. Okay, the next, um, if you look at your handout, the quote that I have on there is from Lila Corwin Berman, who is um, a professor of history at Temple University. And this is the one that I think some of you, either it may make you uncomfortable or you may find it provocative. But one of the things that I think is interesting about Lila's quote is that she inserts the word Christian into white nationalism. And I think that's the part that is often left out or the part of the discussion that we often don't have is when does white nationalism also appropriate certain tropes within Christianity that also respond to um, both Muslims and Jews. So it's not only that it's the targeting of non-white bodies, it's also the targeting of two religions within the monotheistic or Abrahamic tradition that are now viewed as enemies of or outside of or not within the framework of whatever Christian values are. The last thing I want to mention, and then I'll, I'll um, pass this to David goes next, um, is the the way in which we live out these kinds of exclusionary practices that seem banal, but actually point in the direction of why the extremity is actually able to happen. So wear your Sunday best. So this is what my kids are always told at school for some kind of event. Wear your Sunday best. And the, this is in a public school. And so the view is everybody goes to church, right? But that's not true. Whether you're religious or not, not everybody goes to church. But that's the presumption, right? The wear your Sunday best. And it's not an innocuous phrase. What happens with the wear your Sunday best is part of a larger framework of you may go to a public school, but this is really a Christian school, right? The winter, winter concert is a Christmas concert. And where my kids are, they say it in an unabashed, unashamed way. It is a Christmas concert. They do Christmas music. They do not do music from any other religious culture, um, where music should be an opportunity to actually educate. Um, music actually becomes a kind of um, hegemony and closing down and really a parochialism in the worst sense of that term, right? A kind of particularity. There's no need to learn about other cultures or music from other cultures. The prayer in school. Um, my daughter was in marching band and quit marching band because she got tired of the prayers that were said before the events. Again, in a public school, this happens with athletics also. The dress codes, which often have coded religious language attached to them. Let the inverse ever be said anywhere on the goddamn planet and see what happens. Just see what happens. So, it's time. Spoiler alert! We're going to talk about Episode 5, Season 8, Game of Thrones. There's something you need to know. Someone has betrayed me. Daenerys. He knows the truth about John. He does. 
Danny's an incredibly strong person. She's also someone who has had really close friendships and close advisors for her entire run of the show. You look at those people who have been closest to her for such a long time, and almost all of them have either turned on her or died, and she's very much alone. And that's a dangerous thing for someone who's got so much power to feel that isolated. So at the, at the very time when she needs guidance and those kind of close friendships and advice the most, everyone's gone. I think that Ferris knew that it was unlikely that he would survive the attempt to overthrow Danny in favor of John. And he also knew that ethically, in his mind, had no choice but to try to do that anyway. It was me. Goodbye, old friend. I think that Tyrion is saying goodbye to his best friend in the world outside of his brother. Drakars. And the, uh, the amount of guilt that he feels over being the cause for his best friend's imminent death, it's hard to really get your head around. I don't have love here. I only have fear. You will always be my queen. Jon Snow is someone that she's fallen in love with, and as far as she's concerned, by this point, Jon has betrayed her by telling people about his true identity, and also the fact that he's unable to return her affections at this point. All right, then. Let it be fear. I think that when she says, let it be fear, she's resigning herself to the fact that she may have to get things done in a way that isn't pleasant and she may have to get things done in a way that is horrible to lots of people mercy is our strength our mercy towards future generations he will never again be held hostage by a tyrant she chose violence but targaryen choosing violence is a pretty terrifying thing Even when you look back to season one, when Khal Drogo gives the golden crown to Viserys and her reaction on watching her brother's head melted off. He was no dragon. And he was a terrible brother, you know, so I don't think anyone out there was, was crying when Viserys died. But there is something kind of chilling about the way that Danny has responded to the death of her enemies. And if circumstances have been different, I don't think the side of Danny ever would have come out. If Cersei hadn't betrayed her, if Cersei hadn't executed Day, if... John hadn't told her the truth. Like, if all these things had happened in any different way, then I don't think we'd be seeing this side of Daenerys Targaryen. I don't think she decided ahead of time that she was going to do what she did. And then she sees the Red Keep, which is to her the home that her family built when they first came over to this country 300 years ago. It's in that moment on, on the walls of King's Landing when she's looking at that symbol of everything that was taken from her when she makes the decision to to make this personal. We wanted her to 
her to be just death from above as seen from the perspective of the people who are on the business end of that dragon. In most large stories like this, it seems like there's a tendency to focus on the heroic figures and and not pay much attention to the people who, who may be suffering from the repercussions of the decisions made by those heroic people. And we, we really wanted to keep our perspective and our, our sympathies on the ground at this moment because those are the people who are, are really paying the price for the decisions that she's making. I think that John is also in a kind of denial. At first, the siege is a war. Soldiers killing soldiers, that's what war is. I think John is someone who's always been a very good soldier, who has never enjoyed being a soldier. He's been trained as, as a fighter from the time he was a little boy. He's quite good at it, he's quite good at leading men into battle, and he also hates it. I think for him it all starts out seeming like it's going to work out, and then it turns into a nightmare. When she takes off and starts burning the city, the Unsullied on the ground and the Northmen on the ground take that as their cue that it's a moral free-for-all. The good guys are behaving like the bad guys, and the bad guys in this shot are the ones who are doing all of these horrific things around him who are his own men the moral lines that he's drawn for himself in his own life can't be maintained for everyone in all situations. Go home, go. It's a small scene, but it's also for us one of the most important scenes in the whole episode because... It's the culmination of their of their story together. And you'll be dead too if you don't get out of here. I'm going to kill her. The road to vengeance always ends in one place, which is what the Hound is saying to her here. I've made my choice a long time ago, and this could only end in one possible way for me. But for you, you have so many other options. Look at me! You want to be like me? The Hound has genuinely come to have affection for Arya. I think he loves her as much as he's capable of loving someone. And he knows that if she comes with him at this point, she's not going to make it out of there. Sandal. Thank you. Hello, big brother. always wanted to see these two face off again and they finally did it struck us that it would be kind of apocalyptically beautiful to see them fighting on this stairway to nowhere um, with the the sky in the background and the dragon flying by and the flames everywhere we knew that these two were going to die together um, at each other's hands and we knew that the hound's death had to be a death by fire so the one thing stronger in the Hound than his fear of fire is his hatred of the person who put that fear there in the first place. It feels like you needed a perspective to carry you through this horror, like you need a Virgil to take you through the hell that Danny's building. The reason we decided to follow Arya out of King's Landing and to, to see the fall of King's Landing through her eyes is, is something that we talked about with an earlier episode. You just care a lot more when you're with a character that you care about. So if we saw a lot of extras running around on fire and buildings falling apart, it might have been visually interesting, but 
it wouldn't have had much of an emotional impact. But when you're there on the ground with Arya, who's one of the people we care the most about, then everything takes on that much more of an edge. We knew that the Hound would be convincing her to part ways with him and to not go to her death. And once she decides she needs to get out of the city, what well, she's in, she's in the worst possible place you can be. So she's got to get from that central point all the way outside the walls of the city. It's the longest, hardest journey anybody has to make in the entire episode. There's the scene several years ago where Jamie and Braun are talking about how they want to go, and Jamie's talking about dying in the arms of the woman he loves, and this is it. I think he knows that they belong together, that they came into this world together, that they need to go out of this world together. Once he goes through the various exits and they're all clogged up with rubble and there's no way out and he knows there's no way out, he's just trying to calm down the woman he loves because he knows this is it. Look at me! Just look at me! Nothing else matters. (laughs) Nothing else matters. Only us. I think Jamie, by the end of episode five, has come to terms with who he really is. And he may not be happy with who he really is, but he knows he's not. He knows what matters to him, and Cersei is what matters to him. I know, I know, we're really, really long, but I wanted to play that for anybody that was into it and watched it. You don't watch that inside the episode. That's what they were thinking when they literally destroyed every character line for the entire series. I mean, Arya gets her ass whooped. Clegane Bowl happens where they both die and he basically all of a sudden is not afraid of fire because there's fucking a dragon on fucking cyclic shooting fire everywhere, killing everybody, women, children, dogs, cats. They totally confirmed she's the Mad Queen. She literally, I mean, they had a plan. The bells ring. Call off your people. John does it. She goes crazy. The Northerners lose their goddamn minds. Fucking Drogar loses his fucking mind. Everybody fucking loses their mind. It is a shocking episode. But the most important thing that happened that pissed off the world, including me and my wife, because we stayed up once again to watch it. Cersei and Jamie die because of a caving in of the Red Keep. That was bullshit. That was bullshit on so many fucking levels because everybody wanted to see that bitch Cersei die. They made her sad and I don't want to die. I want my baby. And he's all fucked up because he got in a fight with Euron, which, once again plot doesn't make any sense that she goes in and kills all the fleet and he's the only person that gets to show her somehow and he happens just to run into Jamie who's trying to get in the back door of the keep because he knows how to get in because of Tyrion um, and literally they bump into each other have a whole fight he gets stabbed multiple times and he kills Euron and dies choking on his own blood going I killed Jamie and I killed the King Slayer and he's dead 
and the fleet's dead. Everybody in King's Landing's fucking dead. Varys gets fucking melted because he was sending ravens to the world that Jon Snow's the man. Jon won't fuck Danny, so she says, I'm going to rule with fear. And all we have left for next episode is what what's going to happen. Is Jon going to do the right thing and kill that bitch? Because she needs to die. Is Tyrion going to get killed? Because he let go of Jaime, and so she already told him, if you fuck up again, I'm executing you. And everybody is fucked. Sansa is known to be the person that did everything. Arya, now, as she wrote out, my assumption is they're trying to set up that she's going to kill Danny, or she might, because she had to live through that shit. John is all fucked up because all his people lost their goddamn minds. They were raping women. I mean, it was... It was hard to watch. I gotta be quite honest. It, there was so much carnage. It was hard to process. I'm gonna watch second run this afternoon because it went so, you know, it was just so much violence. But that scene with her sitting on top of a building and you know what she's gonna do. The bells are ringing and she is crazy. She is fucking crazy. They tried to explain it that she's all by herself, lost Masandi of Noth and. Nobody, she can't trust anybody, and John won't fuck her anymore, and they try to make sense of it, but I don't know why you would do that to the show. I just don't get it. Um, I think a better plot would have been that they stop, and then you still deal with the, the Game of Thrones, and the carnage, and trying to take over the You only got fucking, at that point, you had 140 minutes left of TV. That's it, and it's over. But instead, they spend the next 40 minutes destroying fucking everything. And now we got to go to this crazy bitch. The previews show her marching out like she's all triumphant. I don't get it. But the most important thing, I guess, to go through is that on Twitter, the day of, there is a Reddit subthread, which I'm not a Reddit person, where some dudes put out at the beginning of the season what was going to happen. And to date, about 75% of it's good, like I said on the last podcast. Well, on this one, other than how it happened, it's pretty spot on. They said she was going to kill Varus. They said they were, they were going to capture Jamie and and Tyrion was going to release Jamie. They said now Tyrion's got to go to a court case in episode 6 and hopefully get saved. And they said she was going to lose it and burn down... J- uh, King's Landing because of a season four, I don't remember it, flashback where Braun seeing King's Landing and Ash and a dragon flying over. I don't remember that shit either. They said Kagan Bowl was going to be where the two brothers, the Hound and the Mount, were going to fight each other and they were going to both kill each other. They said that. And they said that Tyr- uh, Jamie would fight Huron, be mortally wounded, but kill him. Get with her, and the way they said it, they were going to be in the Queen's Chamber, and they were going to die. Or he was going to kill her. Which I just thought was a bunch of guests, but they were going to die in each other's arms, and that's exactly what happened. So, I don't know if 6 is going to be as great as it is. I mean, I think we're kind of fucked. Once Episode 3 went down, that was pretty much the big deal. But for spoilers, 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 what they say is now pretty much what I just said Arya or John are going to kill Danny. John's going to abdicate abdicate the throne because he doesn't want it. He's going to go north. Sansa's going to be held as a 
as a fucking uh, traitor, thus it's going to capitulate him to go kill her, John, because that's their theory on the John side of he kills her. He's going to go north trying to find Tormund, and he's going to go across the wall. And when he gets across the wall, he's going to find the spiral of body parts of free folk from the Night King, and we're rinsing and repeating the whole concept that the there's another Night King, which I don't believe that part. But I don't think John's going to die. I think they're setting it up that Danny is going to die because she's going to go after Sansa and Tyrion, and all the facial expressions, what John was doing during the battle, he knows this bitch is crazy. And I think he loves her, I don't think he didn't do the nasty with her because she's his aunt. Because I don't think he really thinks about lineage and anything. He's fucked up. He's a, he's a snow, so he doesn't really have any family. I think when he gets next to her, he realizes her she's not right. The bitch ain't right. Now, last things before we move on and close the show, because I know we're well into three and a half hours. Um, <clears throat> the other part that was really dumb, so I wanted to touch it, was last episode... We're flying along, we can't see shit, and three fucking scorpions kill a fucking dragon. This episode, she comes out of the sun, torches a whole fucking fleet of ships, and then comes in and kills one of the scorpions, flies along the wall, killing all the other scorpions, and now the fire is some serious shit that knocks down buildings, knocks down everything, opens just just non-stop, like I said, cyclic dragon fire. And it just doesn't make sense. I'm not into this genre other than this show, so I'm not into dragons. I don't know a lot about any of this shit. All I know is it just didn't seem like it made sense when you just set up that, that she couldn't fly around. That it was really easy to fire these scorpion bow and arrows and, and take down a dragon. And now all of a sudden, none of that shit works. So that was kind of interesting. Um, I thought that was kind of a weird plot change. But I, I don't know. Uh, I, like many other people, were a little disappointed with that episode. Um <clears throat> Maybe they had extra money in the CGI budget, so they wanted to blow it. Uh, that's all I could think of. But that was just a lot of carnage that didn't seem like it would be what Danny would do or what the Northerners would do. I understand the Dothraki going crazy and the Unsullied going crazy, but they were showing Northerners losing it. It was like a bloodlust that they were seeing all this death. That they just took her lead and started slaughtering people regardless if they were soldiers or not. And that doesn't seem like what the North would do because the North is a depressed people that have dealt with this shit for fucking ever. So there's my Bush League really quick episode five, season eight, Game of Thrones. And this wraps up another episode of Flower Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments about the track by sending an email to FOPPodcast, F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. You get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Make sure you check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. So we're going to go for a Friday podcast, and that would be the 17th of May, Year of Our Lord, 2019. And then our next podcast after that will be the 21st, but it'll be a late podcast because I have medical appointments the 20th and the 21st. So the 21st will be the next one, and then we'll start getting lined up for one more before I take the trip north, or maybe two more. 
And then we'll go on limited short podcasts, which a lot of you right now are going, well, why wasn't this one short? Yeah, I know. I, it's way too long. Sorry about that. I killed a lot of sound bites. Remember, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs And enjoy your week and tune back in Friday for another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. As always, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.